One, two, is this on? Ha. Yo, Jimmy, hit me with that triple H. Hello and welcome to Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Benno. I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And it's another weekend. How are we, lads? Pretty much exactly the same as last week, <laughs> Benno, I won't lie. With a bit of added rain during the week. Oh. It got better today, though. It did get better today. Today was nice. Yeah, I went on a belting walk today. Good number of miles in, you know, feeling good for it. Hot weather on that walk as well. Okay, I've got like a little. I've got like a little square in my backyard where I could potentially sunbathe, but I don't really tend to do it. Um, But you know, I've had a couple of walks. I don't have you down as a sunbather, mate. Apart from your tanning bed phase, obviously. You know, I don't mind it. Like I, I actually, maybe the last five years or so, I've gotten into like, like summer holidays. Like it's never been my thing. I've always been like a weekend trip to Europe kind of guy but I did a couple of like trips to Turkey and a couple of Spain ones and bear in mind I do have to slap on facts to 50 because you've seen the state of me but I do actually do I quite like it sitting in the sun listening to some podcasts mainly I say sitting in the sun mainly sitting in the shade but you know I'm a fan of it when I can get some yeah I did that when I went to Turkey didn't I <laughs> watching fucking G1 on my phone on a beach <laughs> And just thought the what I thought at that stage the world was mental. Like Jesus Christ, that was merely the fucking epilogue. That. Did you buy, buy anything good when you're in Turkey, JP? Anything? Hooky football shirts, mate. <laughs> I just Not love that story as well. I like it coming up. Turkish tea, yeah. Which I've which um I've now finished. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. I need to order some. I didn't bring any back from Turkey. I've, I haven't got that stuff. That that's all went. I had to order some on Amazon. Oh, I can't remember you had low. You had a proper stash of it for a while. Yeah, yeah. I went through it. Uh, Ovaltine, Turkish tea, yeah, gone. Say, fruit tea's gone. It's like fruit the original Ovaltine. Still there, and all okay. those, you know, you know, all those kind of sleep easy ones mm, that you get no. as well. Those type ones. Yeah, I like that. Big fan of them. Yeah. Sleepy teas. Yeah, exactly. That that type of stuff. Because okay, I don't, well, I, I don't really drink indoors or anything else like that. So that's what I'm having tonight. Fucking well boring. What are you, what are you drinking? Um, fruit tea, apple and cinnamon. Oh yeah, any good? Yeah, it's all right. It's a fruit tea, mate. I've never had one, so I can't. I can't comment. Never had a fruit tea ever. I think I've had sips. I've just been like, oh, not for me. It reminds me of medicine when I was a kid. You know, when they give you like hot lemsip or something like that. That's why I don't like Mm. fruity teas. No, it's it's all right. It hasn't got caffeine in it. Oh, it'll do. It does a job, as I was once fond of saying. A J-O-B. It does a J-O-B, like Al Snow. <laughs> and the blue beanie in ECW. Legend. Are we all um, excited for V Day on Friday, Joe? You've just sent me a link to... I've just opened it up now to the, oh, mate, to the most fantastic day that I could possibly have. <laughs> oh. I tell you what. I tell you what. Someone said that to me earlier. What is it? And I was just shaking my head. Like, right, first of all, should I read it out? Yeah, what is it yeah. though? Is it like it says the V Day 75th day celebration, anniversary celebration, join your neighbors in a nationwide stay at home street party? Who wrote this? Where's this from? I, I, someone sent it to me earlier, and I don't know where it was from. I find out where it was from during the show. I'll ask my, my mate who sent it to me. Mm. 
But they sent it across to this group chat I'm in, and someone asked if I'd had an aneurysm because I didn't respond within an hour. <laughs> and I saw it and was like, I'm having a fucking aneurysm now. Honestly, <laughs> the use of patriotism as a tool in order to fool people and to shield people from the stark realities of truth and the world and the constant harking back to two world wars and one world cup is just it just to me it holds this country back honestly i'm on my fucking soapbox here right a hundred year old man doing laps of his garden to raise however many million it is for the nhs and then getting sent an entire school hall's worth of card to me shows what idiots a school hall's worth of cards kind of are in terms of people in this country and how easily duped and fooled they are by gestures. Like, one, they're sort of participating in the normalisation of the NHS as a charity, if you ask me. Two, war hero, 100, Jesus Christ, war hero, oh, nostalgia. Oh, okay, let's fall for that one as well. It it really gets to me. Like it really gets to me that that Tom Moore bloke. Fair play to him for doing what he's doing, and it is a shame that we have to treat the NHS as a charity at a vital time like this. And it's a shame that I imagine probably seventy five percent, possibly more of the people who sent him those cards are probably people who voted for the Tories in the last three elections, four elections, and voted for the underfunding of the NHS ultimately. Um, but at the same time, what really disappoints me with it is the way that people are just so easily fooled by that stuff. And the fact that that can sort of like cover up the real kind of issues that are going on right now. And on Friday, it looks like they're going to continue to try and cover up these issues with the 75th anniversary celebration of VE Day, where at 9pm, there's going to be a nationwide sing-along to We'll Meet Again, (laughs) British Royal Legion, after the Queen's address. And at 3pm, they're going to show Churchill's speech from VE Day. So again, we can kind of like revel in the two world wars and one world cup narrative that we like to push. And we can think of, I don't know, Tom Moore as the the pandemic poppy, basically. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. A symbol to cover up real fucking issues and the real problems that are going on right now and being experienced. And the NHS is being used purely as a tool by the government to kind of... I sound like some conspiracy theorist here, don't I? I sound like I'm fucking going off at the end. I don't know how I've got onto this, but it's just the use of the NHS and the way that those that are putting their lives on the line and are doing a fucking great job and some people are losing their lives, but the way that people have suddenly jumped on that and... It's almost like they're being used in the way that soldiers are used during wartime and kind of romanticised and glorified. Especially in America, respect the troops. Yeah, and we're all getting behind them. And it's like, all right, I get that, but let's consider some of the consequences of this and the consequences of your voting actions and the consequences of what you've ignored year after year and why we're in this state. Like, all right, you can treat NHS workers as heroes, and fair play, I don't disagree with it necessarily, but protect them at the same time. Look after them. Show that you give a shit. Don't just allow them to be used as a symbol so that you can further an agenda and try and cover up what's really going on here and the mistakes that you fucking made as a government. Anyway, I don't know how I got onto that, <laughs> and I wasn't expecting to go down that road, but I'm angry this week. I'm really angry. <laughs> Joe, would you like to know something that's going to cheer you up? I don't know if you're aware of this, but for the people who listen and are thinking this is this this rant isn't wrestling related, that anyway, you're aware of the fact that Captain Tom Moore is getting an honorary WWE title belt from Drew Galloway. Do you know about that? 
Oh, Jesus. That's a real story. It was in the Metro. Exploitation. I'm sure that's exactly what he wants. I'm sure that's exactly what he can't wait to get. You know, have you seen that that page on Facebook that's going around with people posting stuff to him? Uh, I've seen variations of it, but I don't think I've seen that. Like someone made a chair that she stitched out of an army uniform to send to him. Like what? I saw the cake. I didn't see that. This guy's a hundred years old. Like, I don't know what sort of, sort of elks he lives in. I don't know who's helping him out either. But fuck me, what do you expect him to do with all this stuff? He's going to be overwhelmed, the poor bloke. And he's probably overwhelmed enough with the bloody walking he's been doing. And I'm not disagreeing with what he did, but it's the way that people have played along and it's been used in a way to kind of whip up this public sentiment when there should be more questions of government being asked at this point, and we should kind of be really thinking about what game is being played here at the end well, of the day. The, the game that gets played as much as anything else is that we can't criticise the government because there's this pandemic going on, so you kind of have to be entirely respectful. Yeah. While, whilst at the same time entirely exploiting and politicising Tom Moore and just basically making him the poppy in human form. <laughs> and and using that as an exploitative tool because there's a whole kind of like raising up a kind of wartime spirit, which I kind of get the idea of this because we are, are all in this together. There's no one of us who's kind of out of it. But the idea, I sometimes feel that like the idea of people being against the lockdown as if somehow they're sticking it to the coronavirus. <laughs> and you're thinking, I don't think the coronavirus is bothered. I really don't. I think COVID-19 is going to carry on regardless. And it's all with this desire to kind of <clears throat> go back to the past and pretend that this isn't happening at this point in time and that the world isn't changing before our eyes. Yeah. It's like not being able to criticise war because you're not supporting the troops. Like it fits that, that yeah. same same narrative. Um, I hate the use of patriotism as a tool and I hate the pretense of patriotism because idiots lap it up and buy into it and are so easily duped when they see, I don't know, a Union Jack and a British fucking bulldog and some troops. And so much of patriotism is stirred up around the idea of war. And that's something I really, really disagree with and really dislike. And I don't think people ever really think about it in any great depth. Because, you know, I would say that I'm a patriotic British person. I don't sound like it now by traditional terms, but I don't go along with the pretense of patriotism. I don't buy into patriotism as, I don't know, being proud of, I don't know, Winston Churchill and wanting to wear his image and shout out loud about him as this wartime leader, which he obviously was and, you know, played his part and played his role. The things I'm proud of when it comes to being British, things like, I don't know, British sitcom, the British sense of humour, um, some of the innovations that we've we've sort of done over the years. The NHS is something I'm proud of as a yeah. Brit. The mm. Labour government between 1945 and 1951. Proud of that government. The Labour government between um, 1964 and 1970. There's something else I'm proud of as a Brit. You know what else I'm proud of? Soap opera. I think we've done the greatest job ever as a country to embrace soap opera as a way to kind of uh, understand national issues on a ground level, but also a, a kind of um, more complex level as well. I think that's something we should be really proud of. Not so much the last 20 years, but let's be honest, Corrie in 60 up until about 2000. Really proud of that stuff as a British person. But you know what I'm not proud of? 
is people walking around streets with Union Jacks on, with skinheads, acting like the big fucking I am because they're more patriotic than you because they're talking about how much they love the country. The Queen is someone else I'm not patriotic about. I couldn't give a shit about the royal family. Like, it's again, it's another false symbol to get behind as a fucking patriot to shout out loud on the royal wedding day. Why would I be proud about a family that I can't relate to on any level at all? Because their experience as people does not reflect my experience as a person in any way whatsoever or anyone I know. Uh, but by saying this, I sound like I'm not patriotic. It's like, no patriotism is kind of how you perceive patriotism and there are lots of things you can take from your country that you can feel pride in unfortunately mainstream pretense well mainstream fake patriotism is not what i buy into on any level sorry you've really got me going tonight <laughs> it didn't take much, did it? <laughs> hey you said to me dave flyer to me joe you're the one who brought that bad news to my door i'm gonna be with everyone i'm gonna be joining the sing-along you know after the queen's address at nine o'clock am i fuck people in my streets actually do it as well they do get out there and, and do the clap at eight o'clock i wonder if it's for me because i'm a key worker you guys are key workers aren't you technically you don't have to right, carry I, I do the clap because i'm like all right at the same time there is a job being done, and, you know, it's an hard fucking job. I get that. But you also so vote do, for the Labour government as well at the same I'll time. I do that, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I'll be sort of, you know, also thinking about how this is being handled and how this is being represented from a media standpoint and how the Conservative government are essentially trying to put kind of blame on the media for asking them hard questions uh day after day and it's like hold on nah you need to be asked difficult questions because there are things that haven't gone too well here uh so uh, by trying to actually put this back on the media and using a trumpian like tactic doesn't have any sway with me like i've i've got people i know who are saying like the government shouldn't be questioned over this is a global pandemic it's like the government are the people dealing with the global pandemic. Why is Dominic Cummings, for example, in a SAGE meeting? Why is that going on? What is he doing there? If you ask me, the use of the NHS as a tool during this is pure Cummings. The guy's got a track record for doing it. He knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of appalled by it, to be honest with you. And it really kind of gets me down. Uh but hey, you know what? Why don't we make life really simple where we can wave Union Jacks, sing a song together, do a bit of a clap, put a rainbow in our window um, and not criticise the government because it's hard. And, you know, someone had a baby this week and he previously was sick. And we can all get on with it and life would be nice and simple, won't it? <laughs> baby number what seven or something like that as well <laughs> like this, this tory party honestly how anyone in their right mind can think this lot are all right like uh, boris johnson come about this week i was thinking myself, it's like hogan turn up when when he'd been off wcw for a few weeks for the basketball <laughs> playoffs like johnson is the hogan of that party at the moment like you're looking at the likes of hancock and rob and you're thinking you're not even national. You're NWO B team standard. Like yeah, without the great the theme, camera party had some big hitters in there, and yeah. there were some people that you had. I'm not saying I liked them, but you had people who had. I don't know. They didn't feel like they were pure yes men. This current cabinet felt like the biggest bunch of fucking yes men you could possibly come across. It's like Rishi Sunak is in there as like the X pack of or the six of this fucking cabinet as well, or something. I was like, thinking of Matt Hancock as Horace Hogan. Yeah. Yeah, and he's bolding like him as well, the twat. Yeah, 
honestly, I was just watching this thinking, like, none of these lot have got any presence. Like, I didn't like the Cameron government, but his cabinet had a lot more presence than a lot of these fucking yes-men have when they turn up on the TV. <laughs> You've got Gove there as the Kevin Nash, who's clearly trying to kind of assert Johnson on the quiet, I think, as well. I hate Gove with an absolute passion. I'm a teacher. Of course I do. He has control over his own booking, doesn't he, Gove? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. At least he can talk. He does have someone about him. And when he's in a cabinet position, he does get shit done. I despise the man. He's a cunt. But he's got the most out of the positions he's been in, just like Kevin Nash. <laughs> whereas, Bo- whereas Boris Hogan, as um, as I see, he would work better if Horace had worked rather than Hulk. There's the um, there it is, yeah, Boris Hogan. Yeah, you can see it, doesn't it? And he doesn't do jack shit, as we saw we did that WCW pay-per-view, well, where I've... that was him working hard, and it's still fucking lazy. Well, what I was going to say is, I mean, there's always wrestling tie-ins, and that's a fucking good one. But, like, on just on the Captain Tom Moore thing, I just, 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 just one last thing on that. I was just reading the article. Like, it's the first I've seen of it tonight. There's a quote from Drew Galloway in there that says, at WWE... Our mission is to put smiles on people's faces around the world. Captain Tom Moore has achieved that by uniting millions across the world in support of his truly outstanding fundraising endeavours. Captain Tom, I look forward to shaking your hand in person someday. The anonymous WWE world champion, Drew Galloway. Amazing. Drew McIntyre, sorry. (laughs) Drew Galloway. Go old school, mate. (laughs) It's like Chris Hero. Never called him Cassius Ono. Just never liked it. Never got on with it. It's Chris Hero. Mm. Uh, it just brings about the feeling of, uh, like I said, two world wars and one world cup, because that is essentially the kind of uh, stasis that we've lived in as a nation for a long time. And in my opinion, it's why we get uh, ultimately regressive uh, referendums and votes on things like Brexit. And we get a conservative government that doesn't govern for people, uh, governs in their own self-interest and governs for, you know, those uh millionaire or billionaire donors in some cases that uh yeah like to give a lot of money to them and shake their hands at dinner parties and play tennis with boris johnson uh when they get the chance because ah, oh, what a joy it would be to play with uh with good old boris especially uh in the week that he's had his what 10th child or whatever it was <laughs> you know really proud time to be alive this with yeah. his 30 year old missus can't yeah. we all rel- uh, you know Isn't what? It on wikipedia thing, or six mate. or She's seven younger children. than me is is bird is younger than me <laughs> Imagine, imagine it the other way round. I know Macron is going out with some. His wife's like twenty years older than him. She was his teacher. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The the bloke is so. uh, I'm just angry. I'm really angry this week. I really am. I had a good week, all told. Had an all right week. Managed to enjoy bits of the week. You know, get through it. Uh, Still keeping myself entertained, but. Honestly, the the thing that the the theatre each day that occurs at five o'clock when everyone becomes sort of like uh, part of the audience in this kind of hyper normalisation that's occurring on a stage in a uh, Downing Street that we're all kind of duped by, and then we go, "Ah, oh, don't criticise the government, don't ask them a hard question." Ah, oh, it just pisses me off. It really gets to me. What what were the good things you did this week, Joe? What what made you thankful this week? What have you been up to in your uh, in your spare time? What's what's cheered you up? Was it the um, Andy Q pillowcase that you got sent in the post, or someone someone showed me a picture of that? that was, <laughs> that's fucking scary. Just, it's like Alan Partridge and Jed the Stalker sort of stuff. That in it. Um, 
I watched a lot of good films. Um, what else have I done? Been on some good walks, done some good workouts. Um, yeah, generally been quite a beat. Uh, ate some good food. Uh, me and JP had a good chat on on Microsoft Teams via work, you know. Yeah, um, yeah there's been some all right stuff still. Some good distraction stuff. Mm. But I do. I'm. I'm. I'm not disengaged from reality. That's what yeah, I'll say. That's the issue, isn't it? You can't. You can't avoid it. Uh, but yeah, I was on. I was on Discord last night with some of my mates having a chat, trying to. This is the new night out doing podcasts like this and. We were playing some when we went to Bratislava. We played like we went to like a really nerdy board game cafe and played like, a game called Small World. And we had to go with that online last night. It's probably, I mean, I know I do two wrestling podcasts, um, watch a lot of wrestling, but it's still definitely like up there in the top five nerdiest nights I've ever had. But it's an excuse like this to get to ever get together, drink a few beers, you know, forget the uh, the outside world that's happening out there. Exactly, um, get your nerd on, mate. Yeah, well, indeed. we haven't because I've just reminded everyone. Of it. <laughs> uh, people enjoy that too. Uh, but yeah, I went to, actually went to Aldi and got some beers for last night and today. I tell you what, Joe, they've got a if you, if you need cheering up, they've got an impressive selection in Aldi of uh, putting beer fifty two to shame. Got all kinds of like innocent gun stuff, shake the tree stuff from uh, from the hot foundry. Loads of um, hipster beers in uh, in my local Aldi. My mind was blown finding out. I've got a decent haul in the fridge at the moment, so oh, I'm, I'm doing all right. But I have seen it in there before. Innocent Guns, the Scottish one, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Big fan of that. I went to the uh, the brewery, didn't I? Well, when I was up in uh, Edinburgh, it's a great little beer. Uh, so, I yeah. love, mate. After some of the pain I've gone from the Scots today, like maybe not in the mood for a Scottish beer at the moment. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> uh, we'll go into that. Um, but yeah, yeah that, that's kind of our but Oh, you've been spending your week, JP. Did you watch that? Um... Ian Wright, the the, uh, the match of their day, was that last week or was it the week before? I don't know if you've been watching any of match of their day, but there was like an Ian I Wright episode. I missed last week's. Oh. Why? What was it, an Ian Wright special? Yeah, I think it might have been the week before because I've been watching oh, him on catch God. up. And he went through like his, you know, his uh, his favorite matches, and like he picked a couple of like picked a couple of Arsenal matches as you'd probably expect him to. But he Did actually he one against Everton where he scored that really great goal. No, but he was talking about Everton because like he mentioned that like where one of his uh... he did say unfortunately Joe that Everton and Southampton were his two favorite teams to play against because in his mind if he was even if he was struggling he'd always score a goal against uh, one or the other. Apparently that, that mate, our defence was ropey back then. <laughs> proper ropey. Oh, but he, he was saying uh, the reason Everton came up was because like it was proper. I watched it this week, and he he went back and they picked two matches they were in, and then they pick a match where it's just one that they kind of like. And he was saying because uh, I'd forgotten Anders Limpar was an Arsenal player, JP. Um, but he was talking oh, about yeah. because because he teamed with uh, with Anders Limpar and he liked him. And in general, he was saying he kind of liked Everton because he thought our fans kind of took it well that the uh, that he always scored against us. He picked that uh, you know that Everton Wimbledon game with the uh, the hands uh, Sega's. Um, oh yeah, Gareth Barry. That's right. Stuff. No, Barry Horn and uh, and Graham That's Stewart. That's it. Sorry. Oh, uh, this is like the nineteen ninety four game. We we unfortunately Everton being Everton, we brought a DVD about us about it called The Great Escapes, which was pretty embarrassing to be honest. It was us escaping relegation with Mike Walker as our manager by literally, I think it was a point in the end. Mate, we did the same 98-99 season as well. Is there a DVD? There's a video. Um, we oh. beat you on... We Was it? No, it was the second penultimate game of the season. I think we beat you 2-0. Marion Bahar scored two at home. Oh, what year was that? 98-99. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, this um, Yeah, like this, this was like... For me, were you at that one? No, I wasn't. It. I was watching it on Sky at the oh, time. Right. Couldn't get a ticket. 
Because this one, like, uh, the Everton Wimbledon game, like, I, I it was br- watching it, like, it genuinely made me emotional watching it back. Because I was, I went, th- it was like 1984, so I would have been 10. And my dad took me. And I remember us buying, like, a, um, he bought a ticket off a tout outside. And I was 10 as well, so there was no, like, we barely, like, crammed. Literally the back row we were at the upper Bullens in, in, uh, in, uh, in Goodison. And, like, the two of us squashed on one seat and me basically sat on his knee and watching the game back. Like, that's what I love about these match of their day things. It's a bit like watching the classic wrestling we've been watching. But, like, watching it was bringing back so many memories of being at that game. Like, Anders Limpog, he, he, he handballs it in the first half and gives them a penalty. Bear in mind, we need to win to stay up. And they score the penalty. And then they score a second. And I distinctly remember being in the ground and, like, people around me leaving and me not understanding why. It's got the, it's that, it's the game with that great shot where the park end isn't built yet so it's just a load of like houses and like it's a building site behind it and yeah we come back in uh, and end up winning 3-2 through Graham Stewart scoring two and Barry Owen scoring a, a screamer from our, from outside the box uh, like it, it, honestly like probably the, my favourite match I've ever been to probably tied into that nostalgia of being there you know being 10 and not kind of realising the gravity of how bad Everton had gotten in a in a short amount of time but it was weird watching it back with adult eyes because like I knew I knew the story and I knew Han saying oh, I got it got um I think he got arrested. I don't think he ever actually went to prison. They, were, the match they went to they went to they went to court, but they were, right, they yeah. all got away with it. They were found innocent. And oh. I think Bruce Grobelar did. Bruce Grobelar. Oh, I forgot Bruce to... Grobelar was involved as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've forgotten about yeah, that. Yeah, because it was it was Bruce Grobelar. Video. Saints. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fashion it as well, wasn't it? Oh, god, yeah. You forget the names that were involved with that, but in this one, like honestly. When Graham Stewart gets our winner, like he barely puts his hands out. It's like he's not even trying to go for it. And in a way, it kind of like hurt my, my childhood memories of watching it back of it being such a heroic goal. But at the same time, it's like, ah, oh, fuck it, we stayed up. Who cares? What a hero. God bless him. Yeah, he saved that, saved the day for us there. But it was it was a great watch, honestly. I thought Ian Wright, I love Ian Wright on the on those kind of shows as well. Uh he's probably probably my favourite gunner, I'd say, yeah. Uh, JP, but like it's well worth a watch if you're not watching them. They're on every week now instead of like the reg- regular match of the day. They do like a, a top ten countdown, which is basically a podcast except it's on the BBC. And these like uh, these these episodes where a, a player will just pick three three of their favourite games from their career, and it's great stuff. Well worth watching, especially for you, JP. Thing is, because obviously we record at the same time, as it oh, comes yeah, it's out right as now, well. <laughs> but I also then immediately forget. And I've also lost track of really what day and what time it is yeah, that's a lot of the time. Um, you start to become like, uh, is that on? And so I've forgotten about it because you can sort of lose yourself in the box sets. But mm. my thoughts of Ian Wright were always, he was the one bright spot in a bleak time to watch Arsenal because Anders Limpar had committed one of the cardinal sins of being creative, which under George Graham at that point in time, he wasn't having any of that shit. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, it was like ship him out, and it was basically the Ian Wright show for a mm. for for a while until um, like Burkamp turned up when Bruce Rioc was there, mm. um, even though Fenger was already coming in and getting in place with that. But yeah, it's he's amazing. He was he was just like, and the thing is, at that point in time, it was difficult for him to get in the England side because he'd sort of broken through and he was quite old as well. Mm old in football terms, sort of like mid-30s. But at that stage, there were lots of other options of people to go for. Um, yeah, it was just sort of like bad timing. But I'll definitely go back and 
and have a watch of that. I'll, I'll go back and binge a few of those. I've Once got I'm... on series link. I watched one this morning. I watched one that Danny Murphy, I'm not a fan of, but he was selected matches and there was an Everton Liverpool game where he scored 2002, oh. three season. Uh, Rooney's yeah. breakthrough season. Did it, did it have sure. the goal of him against Man U? Danny Murphy. Danny Murphy. He showed it and he spoke about how that's the goal that is always spoken about when he's yeah. brought up. But he like loves this goal against Evans as of a derby and he was a Liverpool fan and all the rest of it. Um, forget how good Michael Owen was as well. He's got a great goal that was just kind of easy for him in there as well. But some of the Everton players from that era, like I've just forgotten about like David Weir <laughs> got sent off and like Scott Gemmell. And you look at it. Thinking, Everton were kind of shit at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. I remember we got Oliver, Oliver to court and around then and everyone was like, oh, oh no, yeah. he's going to be but great. He's, what's that? I've heard that for a long, that for a long time. <laughs> did he play for you? He didn't play for you, did he? No, he would have been linked with us. He was yeah. French and it was the 90s. That yeah, was the I way. think he was mates with quite a few of your players, wasn't he? I think that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, But yeah, that... that um, it was funny as well. I watched the uh, the top ten countdown of the best strikers in Premier League history. And I thought Ian Wright was great in that because he was like, "Listen, I was going. I was. So, I'm supposed to be number ten in this list, but I felt bad that Andy Cole wasn't in the list, so I took myself out." Alan Shearer, meanwhile, he's also on the panel. Put he's got to be number one, isn't he? He put himself number one. Yeah, he made sure he's of that. right. <laughs> it, based on based on goals scored, you can't argue with him, can you? But it kind of, it did make me laugh, like the difference between the two. For me, it's him and Henri, and Shearer's kind of spot on there. <laughs> yeah, and he's got he's, he's a bit like Michael Jordan oh, in that he's got like he's got that ego like Michael Jordan in that NBA documentary, but it's yeah. it's kind of end, isn't it? Have you started watching that? I have a few, John. No, I will do when 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 all the episodes are up. I'll uh, yeah. I'll give it a proper go. It's probably worth because I don't want to spoil anything about the Rodman one and 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 stuff like that, or, mm. or say anything about that. So I'll sort of. I'll, I'll hold thought. I'll hold back my comments. We've got time, haven't we, to eventually discuss all. I of can them. tell you really want me to watch it. I wanted to watch it because it's amazing, and I know you love a great sports documentary. Yeah, and this is this is up there. Hasn't got yeah. like I say, hasn't got that socio political stuff yet around stuff that goes on. It sort of mentions it, so it hasn't got that OJ um, Made in America vibe to it. But what it's got is direct insight into one of the greatest teams at a time like that was really quite chaotic for them after these years of success so it's it's just fascinating mm-hmm. like just to sort of get inside the dressing room and you hear these conversations and everyone like um james he was saying on bwe yeah when he was he talk, talking about jordan and about you know this is one of the most iconic sports stars of all of all time certainly at that point in time and you're getting to kind of hear him really be open and honest with some flaws which then makes it a better documentary because if it was like a michael jordan hagiography where he's great and the balls are brilliant and i have no interest in watching it because it isn't like that it's so much better for it yeah, oh no i look forward to watching it i will definitely watch it uh, the thing i was going to say to you guys though just a question. Have you missed watching football? No. No, nor have I, like, at all. I think with football, though, you're more used to having a break, aren't you? It's not, un- it's not like, odd to have a couple... It's a weird time to have a couple of months off, but it's not that odd to have a couple of months off. Do you reckon that plays into it? I don't know. Like, I don't find myself, like... I don't mind watching, like, those match-of-their-days and stuff. And I still listen to lots of football podcasts, 
but I, I don't find myself like on a Saturday or on a like thinking, ah, oh, three o'clock, like I'll put soccer Saturday on or I'll put five live. On. I don't mm. find the Sunday that I'm thinking like, oh, there's no game on a two. There's no game on a half four. I don't know. I've not, not thought about it, even though I'm still like watching football related stuff. I miss playing a lot more. I think I miss playing more than anything that I've not been able to do since this has happened because still doing a lot of workouts, but I find I get nothing out of I don't get the same feeling out of a workout that I do playing football. And that is the one thing that I've really missed and find myself thinking about. Whereas I don't find myself thinking, oh, I wish I was watching Saints today. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, it, maybe, maybe this is kind of a, uh, I've been in denial for a while about how much, how much I actually really dislike modern football and how I ultimately am a really old man. And a lot of my love of football is based around nostalgia mm-hmm. when it comes to football. Because I find myself loving like that quickly Kevin podcast, like the 90s football podcast and stuff. And I love the Guardian Football Weekly when they look at old games and review old games. And when they start talking about like what's currently going on in football, I find myself getting annoyed and I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued because I'm like, how the fuck are they going to pull off finishing the season? And I don't think they should. I think they should. Personally, I think they should just call it off like the French League and the Dutch League have and the Belgian League. But if we come back, if the Premier League finishes, I think it's just going to make me dislike football even more because I just feel kind of disillusioned from it, I think. And I feel just kind of, I don't know, it it's, feels like um, I, I love an international tournament still. I got really into the last World Cup. I would have probably got into the Euros. Mm. But I don't know. Like I don't feel the same love and like I don't get excited on a Sunday to sit down and watch games and I don't think I had that for a while and this has kind of confirmed that for me yeah. Joe everything everything you've said there could almost apply exactly to wrestling just thinking that yeah in, in so many ways when when you're saying that and I'm going and I'm there nodding my head going yeah I'm not missing football at all and I think part of it is is that I don't gamble and I think that can be part of it if that's part of people's routines, for example, or even fantasy football. I yeah, do kind that, of miss, miss that, like because I was I was enjoying it. It was like the first year I re- I'd gotten into it, and it was oh, like, yeah. oh, this is this is really good fun, and it's a nice sort of distraction. Mm. But I can live without it. Also, we are in the content saturated age. One of the things mm. that we've always complained about before all of this happened is there was too much content, too much stuff to get through. There still is now, if you're looking to cover every piece of wrestling content that's out there, there's stuff out there, but it's hard not to be disillusioned about it because you know that none of this should be happening. And so, like, if football, like, with football as well and the way that that's particularly gone, in some ways you end up feeling the same thing about wrestling as well. And I don't, you know, this is given the chance to sort of go back, and that's why you're going to hear us do sort of these the podcasts sort of covering a lot of 90s wrestling. A lot of that stuff is we get to look back, you look at it with fresh eyes, there's a sort of new perspective, and you're older as well, and you get to see stuff back, like going back, Benno, and watching Everton versus Wimbledon. Again. Yeah, oh, that's isn't the, it? That's the it, most I've emotionally been into a game in ages. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, like I'm not, I'm who you described there. I am the person who I pay attention to my fancy football team. I watch match of the day, but I couldn't be more of a casual football fan. I haven't been emotionally invested since like the last time I had a season ticket in like 2000, what, 8, 9, 10, I think it was 2010 when I got rid of it. 2000, and you live next door the fucking ground. For <laughs> yeah, it's been about 10 years for me. And, you know, and in some ways, like, this is, I know, when you were saying that, Joe, I was thinking of you saying as well about um, 
not wanting to watch any of this em- empty arena wrestling. Mm. I think you'll be pretty, knowing you, you'll be exactly the same way about the football. Oh, yeah. Uh, the novelty will wear off, oh, yeah. as we're all going to see, and as we've all found out, that once it's just football that looks like training matches and the novelty of hearing these you know, multi-millionaire footballers be able to talk during a match and the and the kind of novelty of being able to hear that clear as anything, that type of stuff will wear off within a couple of weeks and it'll be attritional and it'll just be a sake of we're getting through football because we're getting through football and like WWE and AEW, we've got these television contracts that we've got to honour and these are the lifeblood of what we do. So we have to produce content, fresh content, even though really we can all live without it for a bit. Oh, yeah. And it's proven by the ratings as well, isn't it? Like, that's a... Yeah. What a great point, JP. Like, it is so... It's the same thing, I think. And yet, I think... They might find that with football as well. It being driven by Sky wanting to have the games on telly and it being driven by, you know, just that, really. The, the money side of it. It's happened with wrestling and we are ahead of the curve with wrestling because we're already seeing, like, SmackDown this week did less than 2 million viewers. Raw did less yep. than 2 million viewers on Monday. AEW and NXT are just hovering around 600,000 now when AEW were not hitting a million but pushing a million quite consistently, you know, only two months ago. I think we're, we're just ahead of the... Wrestling, in a way, is ahead of the curve. Wrestling fans can see it for what it is. And, like, yeah, mm. the, the, I think the, you're right, aren't you? The idea of, oh, yeah, the football's going to be back. Isn't it going give, to give us all something to do? And the first game is going to be like, oh, isn't it novel? I can hear the players all chatting to each other. I can hear, yeah. I can hear the bench. I can hear the manager. And then by game two, three, the emotional black hole it's going to be because there's no crowd response. And because, like you said, Joe, the... I suppose it's the it'll be the realization of the the fact that it's literally purely only going on for the big the big money reasons the financial reasons the all the soulless problems that that football's got which it's probably not the main reason I'm not I don't closely follow football much anymore but it's a it's a reason in there mixed all up all upon it that's going to come right to the forefront just like it did with wrestling. Yeah, I, I think it's probably a conversation I've had with myself that I probably should have had with myself years ago. And I've mm. sort of slowly realised it. I think a lot of it is the obviously the money in the game, where it comes from. A lot of it's the money that comes from the Middle East as well. I'm not going to lie. And the Newcastle deal that's mm. sort of in the process of going through with the Saudis as well, the sort of ownership structures, it doesn't feel... And I'm saying stuff that people have said a million times, but... It feels like it's sort of moving further and further away from normal people, and it's not a sport for normal people at this point in time. Um, it's a sport that's there to make money for people who are already rich, basically, and to make young people who are very talented very rich. And there's nothing wrong with that, and it's kind of the players I do feel sorry for if they've got to go back and play, because I don't think a lot of players do want to go back and play, and that is a massive shame ultimately but hey uh I well think, at least they've got a union oh, that's well, a union that's not been great in the past let's be honest no that's true um but at the same time there is at least some there's a factor of, of pushback isn't that there's, yeah there's pushback rather than just get it get, get on the pitch right now and play like there's gonna be a conversation at least, isn't there? I I think I honestly I think I do think they should finish the season. Sorry, we'll, we'll talk about wrestling in a bit. But I do th- I think they should. But I don't necessarily think it should be in the next two, three, four, five months. I just don't think. I think if it go, if, yeah, it, I'm the if, same. if it's as long as if it takes till December. I know there's European considerations, but it take if it takes as long as December and January even to get the league going again. 
what's the point in starting the next season? Just finish this one. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. I just think at any point, even if it's next September, finish this season. Like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, if the, I the Everton fan that. in me finds it hilarious, JP, that like, I'm sorry to any Liverpool fans listening, but if they just gave them the league now, that'd be the most funny option to me because there will always be an asterisk next to Liverpool and that'll fucking, it'll drive my brother mad and it'll drive a few Liverpoolians I work with mad. But that aside, you'll get Man U fans on their cases as well. Oh, it will, yeah. Like the yeah. The, the, uh, the the mayor of Liverpool was in. He's a fucking prick, Joe Anderson. I don't know if the news about him goes as far as it uh, goes as far no. as down south. But he basically he's like the the most obvious Evertonian, and despite being our mayor, is kind of you know our, you know the new ground that we're building. He's been yeah. uh, you know there's a, quite a bit of uh, public money that's getting uh, thrown at our new ground. Weird, isn't it? That the the mayor of Liverpool is at Everton. It proper drives my mates mad and my brother mad who are Liverpoolians about it all. But he was basically saying like he does, for, for, you know, he was from the big money point of view. Yeah, they want to start the games again. But he was saying like his point was no matter where they play, there are going to be if Liverpool win the league, there are going to be Liverpool supporters who turn up at Anfield and want to celebrate. And I've I know people who really deny that, like my, my, my hardcore Liverpool supporter mates will say, "No, nah, that won't happen." You know, the supporter group will say that happen. people will be people will be responsible. Uh, I don't know, people are people. And I, I feel I'll like be that's... honest, mate. After the coronavirus, I was thinking at the beginning of this stuff, and I was sort of a bit in denial. I didn't really get it all, and said some stuff that is probably dated very badly. Um, <laughs> at least it's like thinking... an ownership. Of that. Yeah, and we laughed oh, at yeah. it at the time. I was thinking, as soon as football comes back, all I want to see to announce football being back is when Liverpool win the league at Anfield, a, a rousing chorus of you'll never walk alone <sighs> at Anfield, done in the most epic way possible. That will that'll make me feel good. That will lift the spirits a little bit. Not the British public singing we'll meet again, tinged in nostalgia uh, to a greater day, you know, a war that we just won uh, on Friday, which is apparently going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking all along, good good socialist club like Liverpool who haven't, you know, proven their socialist credentials during the coronavirus, let's be honest here. But a great supporter base of Liverpool fans. You know, we've got some good Liverpool fans listening to this podcast. I like Liverpool. I love the city. I love the fan base as well. I was thinking football could not come back any better way than that chorus of you'll never walk alone and Liverpool finally win that league for title for the first time in 30 years. But it's just not going to be the same winning the title behind closed doors, is it? And it is what it is. But you know what? They've stormed the league. There's no question that they're going to win the league. I don't think anyone can hold anything against them. If they do, just give them the league title at this point in time. You know, we will. Whatever. We will. We get it over with. <laughs> we keep players healthy. We keep people healthy. And the 30-year wait is over. And at some point, they can have a great bus procession through Liverpool with oh. that trophy when it's all over. Uh, you're trying I to make me depressed, Joe. Why, why are you being so mean to me tonight? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really terrible. Is. Everything about that sounds awful. <laughs> it's coming it, no matter what, though. I get your point. Look, mate, you, you'll unite after your city with that. Oh. Think about it from a city-wide perspective. <laughs> oh, I think if, uh, I'm not going to make a Norwegian joke. Sorry, JP, what are you going to say? No, it's all right. It's completely forgotten about it now. Don't worry about it, mate. (laughs) Anyway, we should probably move on from football and talk some wrestling. I don't know how I'll go from there. Did you all enjoy uh, when you listened to BWE this week, the uh, 45-minute point that I think Martin forgot to edit out when my phone went off and Triple H's 1996 theme went off on my phone? Is that what it was? (laughs) Yeah, it was. was Is it Ode to Joy or whatever the song's called? Yeah. We'd done it. I'd just finished doing it. No, I said I was doing that um, stream with my mates watching... uh, 20 years of Triple H 
and I had to come up up with a match for it, and we were all gonna pick up. Basically, we we're gonna pick five matches and do a stream. Yeah, me mate Gary had. Uh, I basically left the stream running downstairs, and he basically at the end of the stream just slapped on Ode to join. And it was literally while I was trying to do the first forty minutes of the podcast, all I could hear from me downstairs computer was that blaring out louder and louder and louder. So then I tried to go on my phone to turn it off, and in that moment, yeah, it, it interrupted poor James in the middle of a rant. So there you go, there's an Easter egg for you. That's what happened there. And it was because I was watching a fucking what is it, twenty five years of Triple H marathon. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I bet that was a methodical evening, wasn't it? Oh mate, it, honestly, he is the most. And Matty, who was on our live stream, will will argue the toss about this. He is the most overpushed wrestler of all time. I don't care if you like him. Don't think if you think if you've ever thought he's good. Because even I've thought he's good at various points. Really liked him in two thousand. My pick for the for the for the watch along was the Shelton Benjamin match. I love that match. One of my favourite Raw matches ever. Aside from that though. Not even aside from aside from that, he's had some very good and great matches, but he's also had twenty five years of being pushed down our throats. He's like he's Jeff Jarrett on a grand scale. Remember when everyone used to say Jeff Jarrett was pushed too much in TNA? <laughs> Triple H is that time's thick. Fuck twenty five years of it of him being a main eventer and putting himself on a pedestal with Rock and Austin and acting like he's on that level. And we've all just kind of accepted it. How many how many people just speak to who speak about Triple H like he's like he's this Austin Rock level legend? He's not. He was just put in that position and allowed to be in that position for twenty years. And we've just kind of accepted it like it's true. It's not true. He's a fucking boring wrestler. I watched the Jericho Hell in a Cell match, the worst Jericho match I've ever seen. Star and Arthur gave it on grapple. Can't think of a worse Jericho match. Mate, yeah. Did you see Jericho? Just to interrupt you, did you see Jericho's uh, clip he did about Triple H's twenty-five years? You put it in the group, and I didn't get a chance to watch it. What oh, was mate. it? Oh. I almost want you to stop this now. <laughs> What's he doing? Oh, it is so good. Do, do you want to just watch it now, Benno? How long is it? Like thirty seconds. Uh, it's, it's worth it in relation to this. Okay, you can you can talk while I'm while I'm trying to load it up. Which group did you put it in? The one? Oh, there it is. I got it. Happy 25th to Triple H. I've got it on. Maybe people can hear. Oh, I'm getting a YouTube. Oh, they, oh, they can hear. We can hear it. Hang on. Let me get the YouTube clip out the way. There you go. Live as we go. Times and circumstances uh, may change, but one thing that never changes is the amazing chemistry that I had with Triple H. So I just want to wish him Fuck off. a happy 25th anniversary. Mate, he's not being serious. Ever stepped inside of a wrestling ring and a guy that I had just killer chemistry with. Every match we ever had was was great. So, <laughs> happy 25th anniversary, uh, Lemmy would be very proud of you. And uh, here's another 25 years of dominating the wrestling world as only the game can do. If I had some water, I would spit it right. Now. <laughs> like, but then I'd probably get it on the phone and have to buy a new oh, phone. So, tinged with so much sarcasm. Oh my like, god! No way he is being serious. He plays it so straight. I bought it for the first five seconds. Oh, that's amazing. I saw him and was like, why has he done this? And when I watched him, I was like, oh, he's great. Oh, he's the fucking best. The the, the way, the dominating bit, I, yeah. I was howling at. Like, you know how much he hates that uh, WrestleMania main event? Oh. Like, he's on record and he's bitched about that match over and over. Like, with he knows that he didn't have just chemistry with Triple H because Triple H rarely gave him anything. He had a great last man standing match with Triple H. I love that match. But they had rubbish matches other than that. That eight-minute match on Raw where he does, where they do the false title change was pretty good. All of that. It was an eight-minute match. He knows that he didn't have good chemistry with Triple H. <laughs> and he also knows that he was a better wrestler than Triple H. And Triple H got a push ahead of him because of who he was fucking. He, he also knows Triple H. He's in a room... 
Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, you also knows Triple H after every match, nailed on, went back to Vince and went, that Jericho shit, you know, how bad's that Jericho? Oh, yeah. You know that happened after every match. Oh, yeah. Like, what, could, he, he can't be accused of not saying Triple H was great there, but he's done the greatest thing possible <laughs> in being as sarcastic as possible without being sarcastic. Like, yeah. Jericho's a genius and a great man. Amazing. Well, it's, like you say, it's the dominating the wrestling world <laughs> at that point because you know how he got to that position and no amount of revisionist history ever changes the fact of he is in the position where he is because of who he married mm. it is as simple as that there's no getting away from it that's why he's there and it's always a magic coincidence like that the people who have the shittest matches tend to have the shittest matches with him mm. so like either he just likes having shit matches, which is shit. Or he has a lot of shit matches, which is also shit. Yeah. Um, that gets how I feel about oh, it. Yeah. Honestly, it's as much as I hate Randy Orton, and I hate Randy Orton <laughs> a lot. Like, I can always think back to just the loathing I had for Triple H and everything. And it was he was one of the reasons why I stopped watching WWE. I, I, I found I found it became it, it became unwatchable at points when it was just him and Cena oh. at points as being the focal points of the company. I was just like, I, I hate both of them. He, he wears that this as is, like a, a badge of honor, doesn't he? As well, like I I, yeah. I, I stuck around. It's like yeah, because you didn't have any options. Because you're not the Rock. Because you're not. Because he was Austin. a Blade Trinity. <laughs> Which is a fucking disaster. And he was in that film that looked like it was like a kindergarten cop sequel as well. Do you remember that one? Because he hasn't got any... His charisma is just... Sent, it's just wrestling charisma. It doesn't transfer to the wider world. No. That's why he doesn't do the big roles. People know who he is because the name has been shoved down people's throats. We had such a hard and- time like trying to find... like. The rule of our stream was to find matches underneath 20 minutes. Do you know how hard that was, JP? To find Triple H matches past the year 2000s oh. that are less... That's the, It's the self-importance that I think is the big thing. Yeah. It's like, I, oh, don't, yeah. I don't think he's bad. I think he's... Like, again, year 2000 Triple H is one of my favourite runs, but it did take a year of over-pushing him to get him to that point. He wasn't over when they tried to push him in 1999. They just stuck with it in a way they don't stick with anybody else. And he's had those fleeting Roman moments... Reigns. Yeah, oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, we've got the modern day version of that as well. But he's had those fleeting moments, like I say, that Shelton Benjamin match. He's had, you know, that Jericho Raw match. That, like you say, Joe, it's an eight minute TV match, but it's very good. You know, he's had very good matches, but he's also had, like you say, that JP, how many matches has he had that have just bored the pants off people and and had runs on Raw or SmackDown where he's just taken over the show to the point where hardcore fans like you have to walk away. I think we've all had those moments like that. That DX run, how bad was that? You know, all of that stuff. And the other thing as well, Benno, that Shelton Benjamin match is one of the only matches I can think of is where a guy who's kind of, you know, in-ring ability at that point in time is probably below his, that he's had a decent match with. I can't think of someone whose sort of like position would be perceived to be below his as a worker that he's had a decent match with. Mm. He's decent matches. Well, he had like, yeah, he put him over. I wouldn't say the match is good. It's fine. But it was it was the most convincingly he's probably ever put anyone over at that point in time. But can you think of someone who, like in terms of a worker, 
who's considered to be a lesser worker than Triple H that he's had a great match with, because I can't. Oh. It's always him having great matches with guys who are considered to be better wrestlers than him. Yeah, like, you think of his great matches, and they're always with a guy who mm. is reliable, who is fun to watch, and who is generally a good wrestler. Um, yeah, I can't think of a I can't think of a Triple H match where he's lifted a lesser wrestler's game. Put That's it that way, other than that Shelton cool. Benjamin match. Yeah. Do you not also think he spent the last? I mean, they've spent the last twenty years trying to convince us he's Ric Flair <laughs> as well. Yeah. But a clean Ric Flair, but failing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's it's still the idea of well, there's Flair and there's Triple H, and they're on that parry. But the Ric you know, Flair got gold champions. Exactly. He's, he's misunderstood what Ric Flair did as a wrestler and what Ric Flair's role was as a wrestler. Like, yeah, think yeah. about Ric Flair cowering as a heel and then think of Ric Flair playing babyface in peril inside the Vader match. Triple H doesn't do any of that no. and can't do that. And if he, when he's tried, is not very good at it. Like, he likes to do his methodical matches. And, like, yeah, there's a certain charisma. And I agree, Benno, 2000. I think he's great. But who did and he face in 2000, matches. Joe, to your point? Like, who did he face? Say again. In 2000, to your point. Sorry, that's where I was going to cut in before. In the year 2000, he faced Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, The Rock, on a loop, Mick Foley. Like, how many great wrestlers did he face that year? Like, that, that is the counterpoint, yeah. isn't it? But there were wrestlers that he never had good matches. Austin, he never had a good match of Austin, um, which I always found weird. And I find that if he's got a bit of like a, an issue with a guy, he can't. He doesn't have a good match of them. He almost, almost feel like he just squanders the match. He never had a good match of Edge. Um, I don't think he's ever had a good match of Randy Orton. Batista, I thought they had in a cell was pretty decent. But they're not a, Punk. Sorry, not Punk. No, for every good Triple H match, there are 20 bad ones. Yeah, yeah, that sums him up. And he's had 20 opportunities to do his Harley Race slash Ric Flair, what he thinks Ric Flair is, cosplay. And that's why I think he's the most over... Prove me wrong, anyone. Is How can he not be the most overpushed wrestler of all time when he's had that many opportunities to be bang average in WrestleMania main events, that fucking Sting match? Like... Big, big moments. I enjoyed that. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I mean, you surely, though, you enjoyed the NWO bit and the, and the oh, nonsense. Yeah. And the, like, when yeah, you didn't yeah, enjoy the match. I was. When that music hit, I was loving life. <laughs> when I, Scott I still hate that. Trying to raise his edge on the outside, I was like, ah, oh, yes. Like, obviously, it was a match based around nostalgia, and I ate it up for that time I was watching it. Why Sting mates thinking, with the NWO, Joe? Why Sting mates with the NWO? Oh, What's yeah. Yeah. While also thinking, what the fuck is this commentary all about? <laughs> That was bad when, too. When you were saying about him like cosplaying as Ric Flair, mm. really it's Nick Bonk Nick Bockwinkle. That's what he is. That's what he's cosplaying as. A relatively sort of a methodical worker who's nowhere near as charismatic as people what as as what he's thought to be. Mm. And trying to say, well, he's he's like Ric Flair, and it's like he isn't. <laughs> he isn't. He can't have all those types of matches as a baby face. The time where that worked was very, 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 very limited. I'm probably thinking that Royal Rumble appearance was possibly the peak of it all. And I won't lie, when his quad went, I did have a chuckle to myself, which I know is a prick thing to do. Mate, but I, when, the second time his quad went, I was like, oh my God, he's not going to main event WrestleMania. Thank God. Which one was that? 2007. Uh, rated RKO versus DX, I think it was. And uh, his quad goes a second time, and I was quietly like, 
Yes, and they did uh, Cena Michaels in the main event rather than a Triple H Cena rematch at WrestleMania 23. Of course, he'd have to have that, wouldn't he? He's the bigger boss villain than The Rock, isn't he? Well, he was, you know, bigger than Shawn Michaels as well, mate. You know, <laughs> ten times the rest of Shawn yeah. Michaels ever was. Cor- Cornette, you know, who, you know, he says a lot of things, Cornette, but one of the things, but the, some of the things he gets absolutely spot on. And one of the things said about Triple H is, Triple H is not, not the guy. He is the guy who works with the guy. That's who he is. Well, do you know what he also He's not the guy, and, and they'll never, and they'll try and convince it with their revisionist history, but it'll never work. Do you know what he hasn't got? He's got no athletic qualities. Like yeah. he's got no athleticism. And okay, there have been wrestlers. I don't. Mick Foley didn't have any athleticism, but he worked around it. I don't really think Triple H has ever worked around that. And it's just something he's never had. And at times, I found it's made his matches boring, turgid. He's a guy who's never worked. He's never worked out what his strengths as a wrestler are. And he's never had the kind of like modesty to sort of go, these are my strengths as a wrestler, and I'm going to work around these. He always seems to try and fit weird stuff into matches uh, in like big sh- on big shows. Like, that Roman Reigns match went a like, half an hour in a WrestleMania main event, where he's trying to do an Indian deathlock in a seven-hour <laughs> seven show. You're like, all right, you're enjoying this. I'm sure Regal will tell you how well you applied it afterwards to stroke your ego and make sure that he can, you know, <laughs> carry on scouting talent in various countries and making his dream come true of hosting a show in Blackpool. And that worked. But this is not the place for that move. And this is not the time to put someone in this hold. And no one wants to see this. And you may think you're Harley Race in 1981 in, I don't know, the fucking Georgia Dome or somewhere. Central but- States. Yeah, time and place, mate, and this is not your strength. Mm. Do you remember how that Rollins match was at WrestleMania? Like, it wasn't a badly worked match, but it was the wrong type of match. It's one of them, isn't it? He's, he's, he's a. It's that worker's worker thing I'll always say about Randy Orton. Like you said, yeah. people like Regal are going to go, oh, the way you slapped that on was great. And meanwhile, every fan in the building is sat on their hands, and everyone at home is. Bored silly. I just think he's got like a he's got a real small man syndrome. I think he's always had it, and I think he, he's the baby face now because he's pushing all the indie dudes that we all like. Well, allegedly that smart vans all like, and he's therefore you know he's baby faced himself to like an entire generation of fans who grew up with just well Triple H is on top. He must be the best. He must be a he must be a top mm. guy. But it all comes from that place of insecurity, doesn't it? It comes from him being the, the member of the clip who got allegedly got punished when they did the curtain call from, you know, before that. That was another thing I, I, we were kind of chatting about. It's like the the re, you know, the way history has been rewritten to say that that happened and therefore his mid-90s run was shite. It's like, no, the hog pen match with Henry Godwin, which was one of the matches we watched, was before all mm-hmm. that. The squash from WrestleMania with the, by the Ultimate Warrior, also before all that. He didn't re- he didn't win the King of the Ring. That's all that really happened. But I reckon he's had that chip on his shoulder that entire time. And like he was now, you know, people look up and say he wasn't good enough to be with, in the ring with The Rock and Austin. And therefore, for 20 years, he shoved it down our throats that, that he did deserve to be in the main event. That everyone probably said that he wasn't as good as Shawn Michaels, that he carried the bags of the click. Well, he tried to prove that he's better than Shawn Michaels and failed miserably. Uh, everything everything about him is ego, isn't it? That's why, that's why Vince loves him. That's why he's Vince's second in command these days although even then i think there's uh there's, there's issues there too but like that's that explains so much 
Oh yeah, like Vince bringing up Katie Vick, like he had nothing to fucking do with it himself. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. mate, you approve that shit, mm. like all of that shit, you end up approving. Mm. Yeah, spot on. Um, it's like the Goldberg run he had. Remember the matches he had? That was Gold- the worst. Where he just had no inclination to work around Goldberg's strengths. No. So instead, he decided to have twenty-minute dull matches to make Goldberg look shit. Like that 2003 at Triple H. You look at his pay-per-view matches that year. That was like a calculated approach, I think, to just kill WCW talent. And to it end was. Them. Was it, it was Steiner like... at the start of the year, Booker T at Mania, and Goldberg yeah, towards the end? It was. No, it was Nash in the middle as well even though he's mates with Nash. Mm. Uh, yeah, and then Goldberg at the end. So it just was like, okay, that's interesting, uh, the guys you were facing that year. And none of the matches are good. You don't have a good match of any of them. Small. Like, his run that year is fucking awful, and he was on top the entire year. When those roars used to open with, like, a 20-minute Triple H oh, run, yeah. oh, my God. For so long. It was, oh, it was so bad. So, so bad. And you know what? I loved that Batista feud. Like, there are there are bright moments that are kind of filtered in there. Um, and there's no denying that. But there's so much bad that goes on with the good. Like, my hatred of Triple H can be summed up by the fact that at WrestleMania 25, uh, people in that building were duped into thinking Triple H was the best wrestler in the world when Chris Jericho was in the ring. And it's like, nah, this guy is top of his fucking game at the moment. He got a good match out of Jimmy Snooker and Roddy Piper, for fuck's sake, at <laughs> yeah. WrestleMania. Like, the guy is a fucking genius. And the next night, I was at the Raw after WrestleMania, and uh, someone, a guy in front of us, got a little bit annoyed for the use of some of the language I was using on Vince McMahon. I think I was having a go at Vince for picking <laughs> up Randy Orton and saying, he's your top heel, and you're beating him up. What the fuck are you doing, you stupid old man? And this guy was like, hey, man, easy on the language. He's like, yep, yeah, sorry, mate, do apologize, young kids there and that. Triple H does a run him. As soon as he comes out, cunt! <laughs> this guy lost his shit, dragged it, like, picked his kids up, dragged them out of the arena, was not happy with me and my mate at all, was furious. <laughs> but that was the pure hatred that Triple H was bringing out of me. Yeah. I'd sit through that 25-minute main event the night before that, to me, was the worst match in WrestleMania history, the worst main event in WrestleMania history. And you know what? Triple H's got a few of that. I'm going to just list them off since I'm on a bit of a rant now. So well, think about Triple H WrestleMania matches since mm. he's been a main eventer. You've got um, 2002 against Jericho. Absolutely fucking Shite. terrible. 2003 against Booker T. Awful. Like, racist. Terrible racist oh, yeah. match where he takes ages to pin him at the end. Doesn't Indian Deathlock in that one as well? Well <laughs> done, Triple H. Uh, you know, you got the run of what the Benoit triple threat, which is pretty good. Yeah. The Batista matches, it's merits. 2006, what was that? Cena. Nah, you were there, Benno. You probably know more than me about that one. Bland as ever. You carry on going through. You got the Orton match at 2009. It's about terrible. Sheamus. Terrible. I don't even remember that one. Exactly. Oh, yeah. You got the two Undertaker matches. I quite like the Hell in a Cell one. I, I do hate think that was the merits of that. Lesnar. He had to go over Lesnar again. He had oh, to yeah. beat Lesnar. For what reason he, did he, he have to beat He was smart in that Lesnar? one, Joe. Because like, he let, let, he, Lesnar won the first one. And Triple H won the second one. And then Lesnar won the third one. So technically, Lesnar wins the feud. But you know which one Triple H won? The one at uh, Wrestle Fucking Mania. I love yeah. that. Fucking exactly. Dog. And then you think you go after that as well. And what matches has he had at WrestleMania after that? He had a fantastic match with Daniel Bryan, where it felt like he let Daniel Bryan lay the match out 
and call the match, and it was fucking good. Yeah, it was great. And then after that, he had those matches with Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins. Uh, I did like the Rousey tag match. That was great. Triple H, Salva, Ronda Rousey. Like awesome. His ego must have been dented that night. I'm sure he'll get something back on air at some point. <laughs> but the run there, it's it's not good. No. And this is a guy who's considered like, or con- is considered by the company, one of the top guys ever. And there is so much bad shite on his CV. Like, he is the most overrated and overpushed wrestler ever. Someone send this clip to John Jim Smallman, John Briley, and uh, Glenn Matthew Joseph. Because I'm sure they'll get really offended by how we're, you know, offending their boss right now. He's... <laughs> One of, the, one of the greatest ever. He's great. 25 years of Triple H. Dominating. Great. What you, I also like is how Jericho used the word killer chemistry. I reckon the use of killer was intentional <laughs> there. It's subliminal. Oh, You're going to love his, like, when you go back and watch some of those 97 Raws. Where Ooh, he is, in, he is in, yeah, he's not in full bodybuilder mode. He's just sort of aggrieved a lot mm. of the times around there. Yeah, you're going to enjoy this. And I was just thinking about what you were saying about him not being athletic. At his heart, he's a bodybuilder. He's not an athlete. Mm. And he doesn't... And that's why I always think his body ends up collapsing on him. Because the amount of weight... If you look at him in those 97 rules... Oh, my God, JP, yeah. Ah, completely different. Mm. Um, You know, still not not great in the ring. You know, he's just kind of there as much as anything else. There was a triple threat match I watched him with Goldust and Owen Hart. And obviously, Owen Hart's great. Um, but yeah, he's for me. He's always he, he's not really a wrestler at his heart. He, he, the things he takes from wrestling are the things about appearance and look, and they're the things that he takes and what he thinks a good wrestler is in terms of that methodical style. And it's just not organic, though. None of it has ever really been organic. The only thing that was ever really organic about him is that at his heart, he's a, he's very insecure. And he's a fucking, you know, second only in megalomania stakes to um, uh, to Vince McMahon. And he knows that the centre of it is because he married into it. Oh, yeah. That's why all of this is there, is it's he like, married into it. It's why he banged all the weight on. It was to impress yeah. Vince, wasn't it? Like, I, 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 I would yeah. say, like, I do think... He is def- legitimately a fan of, you know, the old NWA stuff and the, the right way of doing things, quote-unquote, in wrestling. And I, I actually do think he's got a decent wrestling brain myself. And I do think, like, you know, you look at those 96 and those mm-hmm. 97 appearances, JP, where he's like a skinny mid-carder. I actually don't agree that he's a bodybuilder at heart. I think he became a bodybuilder because he wants to impress Daddy. And he kind okay. of... I think the I ego overrides all of uh, what might be his good instincts get overridden by ego. Like, every decision he makes is purely led by ego. He, do, he pushes yeah. the, the small NXT, the NXT guys because he wants the internet fans to like him because his ego is bruised by how many years? 20 years of people like us slagging yeah. him off. I think it's all linked to that myself, to be honest. Yeah, I think you're right on that one. Um, and, I, I, yeah, there is no denying, I, I agree, Ben, that there is a mind there for wrestling. What I've never thought is there, though, and I do think he's got better with it, but I think it's because he's had to change his perception and maybe listen to those around him. I think he, he had a terrible kind of eye for talent for the longest time. Yes. Like CM Punk? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think he got Brian at all. Brian, yeah, um, the others as well. But also, I was reading today about uh, in The Observer about how he was positioning Curtis Axel to be like the next big thing. And you're like, 
what the fuck did you ever <laughs> see in this guy? Like, really? Like, mm. mate, I could have told you that this guy wasn't going to be... Even... I remember when he thought Mojo Rawley was going to be the next big thing as well. Like, I don't think he's ever had an eye for talent. And I think a lot of talent in the sort of NXT system has got over at the expense of Triple H, and he's kind of been forced to push him in the end. I think someone like a Neville or a Pack had to put on a fuckload of muscle in order to get a push. You know, there's impressing Triple H once again. <laughs> but did Triple H brought, think about it, he brought Gargano and Champa in as a couple of job guys, and then they got over, and they kind of had no choice but to push them because that main brand was not pushing the guys that should have been pushed. So the kind of sub-brand kind of had no choice in the matter. Let's be honest, I reckon Triple H would much prefer to have a Mojo Rawley in the main event and a Baron Corbin, possibly. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree that there is a, there's a mindset there to some degree in terms of the way he's going to do things as a booker. But I just think he needs to keep out the spotlight. I don't want to see him on TV. I don't want to see him on NXT. What is he like? The dad of NXT? <laughs> oh, like, Can't help himself. Him being there does not get guys over. It makes those guys look worse look like because they aren't the star that Triple H is and he's not giving them a rub. Mm. He's never going to have Johnny Gargano go over him, is he? No. I was, I was gonna, One of two things. I want, A, I want Gareth to uh, get a grapple list together of Triple H ratings because I'm Gareth. genuinely curious what people rate his matches as across the board um, going through it. And two... Which... I think he's had a couple of five-star matches. I'm not going to lie. I think the Cactus Jack Royal Rumble match, five stars for me. I love that match. I do love that match too. But he's never I given Foley his a fan of that at the time, he's... but I haven't seen it. Mate, it's since. incredible. He's never given Foley his due. Like, I think he's oh, no. embarrassed. Foley made him? Foley well, made him. The, like, the... And I think he's embarrassed at that. The second thing I was going to say is, if you look at his career now, I know it was obviously it was Killer Kowalski who trained him, but pretty much he goes straight into WCW. He doesn't really go on the indies. Although it certainly isn't noted on, on his cage match profile, which has you know, starting in 94, and it's WCW. So this is someone who, we talk about his wrestling mind. He never did that part of wrestling, did he? He never seemed to do that for any substantial period of time where he would have to go out and graft and change his style and work with different people. And it might have made him that bit more humble. Pretty much, he's in WCW, and then he's in the WWF, and then w and then obviously WWE from there. Um, and that's where and that's where his career trajectory is. So it's all big TV arena wrestling. Interesting. It's, and I, I think of that that kind of that wrestling mind. And I think for him, he just thinks he comes out and he holds up their arms, but he doesn't get what makes people work mm. necessarily. I, I imagine he looks at Adam Cole and goes, well, "Lots of things that he likes about him." He just wishes he was five inches taller. <laughs> five inches taller and he could sell this guy to Vince and it'd all be easy and he would look great. And he doesn't, a lot of the time, he doesn't seem to get what really works with them. I spent inexplicably, as a side note, I spent some time watching NXT today because I thought I haven't really watched why? all that much this week. I was on the BT Sport app, that's why. Have you met JP, Joe? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Love you. I was and I thought I'll have a look. I'll skip through it and see what it was like. <laughs> Good lad. And there was a segment on there that they had as a newlywed game. I think I also heard Meltzer talking about this as well. Um, and it was Timothy Thatcher and um, Matt Riddle doing sort of like questions. And Riddle makes it work. 
like in the limited way that it works. But it's such a te- they're giving him terrible material. And here is a guy who's just being himself throughout the whole thing and still somehow managing to get the most out of the absolute least in that time. And in any other world, and I kind of think when it comes to his brain, he'd be looking at him going, this guy's a fucking mania, a main eventer. Why the hell is he down here? In any other universe, he'd do it. But it's still the idea of, no, we need to have him in NXT and build him up and he'll do some 50-50 for a bit. And it's, and that's why I kind of think, you know, that's a lot of his limitations is he never worked on he never worked on that indie scene. A different indie scene though compared to today though, like the you know ninety four. Very different, but he still would have been working different people and different styles. And mm. well, he didn't travel. He didn't. Yeah, that's the best way of putting it. Yeah. Think yeah. about Jericho's road to get to WCW and then WWF. And you know, I always I always compare Jericho and Triple H because I find I just find it fascinating that you have those two guys there. And you push that guy when you have the choice of that guy. To me, that is like baffling uh, and sort of sums up Vince in many ways. Um, uh, but you look at Jericho going to FMW in like, like 1991, Canadian Indies, uh, carrying on going to Mexico for the longest time as well, getting over there, going to war doing a little bit of New Japan, you know, ECW in there as well. There's a journey that exists there, whereas I suppose that's not there with Triple H. It's kind of like Northeast kind of local shows, WCW, WWF, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely see your point there. Uh, yeah. And that, that's it. He's a... To get around the travel, he starts carrying the bag. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that was his, uh, yeah. his genius. Well, and another point regarding what you just said there, JP, about uh, Matt Riddle, because that, to me... Matt Riddle should be up on that main roster beating Triple H in six seconds. And, you know, knee strike, same same match they did with Trent Seven at that super strong star when Christ, yeah. Riddle was stoned out of his box. I heard Will Coolin talking about that the other day. And <laughs> JP knows all about, all about Matt Riddle that day, especially the pre-match, so whatever. Why <laughs> um, one in six seconds, mate? Yeah. Will Coolin wasn't half wrong when he, he was talking about that on his podcast with Jamesy the other day. But, I was I was thinking to myself, like, yeah, Matt Riddle's gone to NXT. He should be up at that main roster. And he should be a star right now. But unfortunately, you got the um, kind of coming together of the alpha males that unfortunately won't let this guy break through because he likes to smoke weed and maybe isn't as kind of like forward in his kind of alpha maleism as they are yeah. and is kind of pig-headed and all the rest of it. Um, but He's I was thinking secure, to myself. isn't he, in who he is, the oh, kind of complete. person he is. He Please. seems that way. Obviously, this is on a very peripheral level. Level, but certainly him as a wrestler, he has a much better grasp of sort of who he is than what Triple H did for such a long time. Well, mate, I was thinking that, and I was thinking, look, Brock Lesnar. I don't know, don't know much about him as a bloke, but clearly, you know, his penis has stopped working or something because <laughs> he had to get Cain Velasquez to I come into say the that company to his face. so he could avenge a vict- he could avenge a loss in a real fight in a fake fight yeah like what the yeah. fuck if that was why they signed Cain Velasquez to then release him like Hogan signed a warrior stuff in it up. say it again it's Hogan getting warrior and then WCW isn't it to get his Wrestlemania 6 win back situation I don't know I don't know if I review do you view it like that though because I kind of my pushback on maybe a little bit on what what Jake what you guys are saying is like I maybe I still believe the propaganda that Vince is the bad guy and Triple H is the good guy that's going to save us all. I think Cain Velasquez was probably more of a Triple H project and Vince just didn't see it. 
Like that was my take on it. I thought that's that's what that was. I thought that that's where I think that ties into Triple H more than it tying into yeah, yeah Brock's obvious. He would, have seen, he would have seen Velasquez's build and just thought no. We said that I don't didn't we at the time. How hard he is, yeah. When we reviewed <laughs> it, like that was my first take. It was like Vince will hate him because he came out with his top on it off, didn't he? And I was like, yep, he's done. There's no way Vince is gonna like this on that first SmackDown Live. Like he's just gonna go. Oh, how how can that be a tough guy? He, he's got tits. You know what I mean? I can imagine. Yeah. That. But well, I think, let's be I think Triple H is trying to play to that sports. Trying to uh, maybe it's it's the ego thing again, and he's trying to appear like he gets it. And a you know the way he, he turns up at boxing shows oh, yeah. and stuff, trying, uh, trying to appear like he knows real sports and he believes that Cain Velasquez is going to be this big star. But then Daddy Vince slaps him down, and it never gets anywhere. I don't know. What were you going to say, Joe? No, the thing I was going to say about that is if. Lesnar wanted to give Cain Velasquez something. We know that if Lesnar wants to do something, he's going to do it and he's got sway. He gave Velasquez nothing. He yeah, buried him in true. two minutes. Like, mm, to me, it was, I want to get my win back in the most decisive way possible because my ego was bruised 10 years ago because I had diverticulitis at the time of the fight. It's <laughs> pathetic. It's really, really pathetic. It's like, I don't know, when you read about um, like time shared on screen between big actors in ensemble cast-based films and the fallout Bruce Willis had with Sylvester Stallone because of what he was asked to do in one of the Expendables films and stuff. And you're like, come on, lads. Like, it's not real. Like, no one's going to think this about you. But, yeah, I just think, fucking ridiculous. You sign a guy on uh, this ridiculous deal, have him losing two minutes in a oppressive country to a man who gets to avenge his loss from 10 years before where he got absolutely battered and you know what in front no of an one... audience that didn't give a shit yeah no one cared no anyway <laughs> well I, we kind of got onto like some relevant news there though i think i didn't expect this show to be the assassination of triple hjp but it's kind of uh i've been of... waiting for this for years <laughs> Benno, we, it's we cheered me up. I don't know about I've you. I've really guys. enjoyed this. <laughs> yeah. Benno, see each other match between the years of 2007 and 2015, 16. Yeah, true. But I'll tell you what, during that period, particularly between, <laughs> I would say, about 2008 to 2012-ish, I was on the kind of like Triple H hunt and Triple H rant for a long, long time. A long time. There'll be a couple of listeners listening to this, shaking their heads right now with some good memories or possibly <laughs> bad memories coming back to them, oh, I imagine. Yeah. If you were on a message board in like two thousand from two thousand two to what, like two thousand ten, like it was just pure Triple H is the devil. What the fuck? Why is Triple H still on top stuff? Like that was that was the neat that was internet discourse for how long? And how weird is it that it's all completely turned on its head? And like I say, maybe even I'm buying into it. Vince is the baddie. Triple H is the goodie that's going to save us all. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the that's kind of oh, the world we're in now. What was that, JP? Ultimately, Triple H isn't a star. He's a henchman. Yes. And he can't accept the fact that. So when you think of them as both being villains, Vince is ultimately the boss villain. and But Triple H is there. As, he's just the henchman before. I'm trying to think <laughs> of it. Uh, would it be the same as Jack Palance in Tango and Cash? Would that be Vince and <laughs> the other guy who pretends to be a Cockney? That would be Triple H. <laughs> who's um, who's Heyman in that? Brian he's... James, who's in um, Blade Runner, <laughs> which is a much better film than Tango and Cash. Oh, Joe's very good films. Tango, Tango and Cash hunt around this stuff as well. He'll love it. <laughs> but I suspect he's gone for a piss. Hey. And that maybe isn't why he's replying. I'm back. I like oh, them both, to be honest. I think they're both, both great films, to be honest, JP. Big fan. 
couple of nine. You missed the last time you watched Tango and Cash. You <laughs> <laughs> missed the comparison there with probably Vince's like Jack a year I heard it, mate. It's good. Oh, <laughs> Got seal of approval. That'll do for me. We need a Heyman name archetype though as well because that's the thing going on right now isn't it triple h and Heyman, kind of if you believe like the what's kind of written in the uh in the dark pages of the internet the shine the war into to get vince's approval and triple h is sending nxt guys to raw and Heyman isn't being as a uh, i don't know accommodating with them as you might normally expect them to be both both trying to fight for the uh, for the crown it's over in game of thrones that's what WWE fiddling is. as rome burns yeah, is yeah. What that is isn't it oh Heyman's little finger Sorry to bring it up. You look at the outside world and these are the games that these two fuckers are playing. Seriously. <laughs> Cop on. Um, on the news front, because we mentioned it there, like any any thoughts on the on the releases this week? Cain Velasquez, as we kind of touched on, Gerald Briscoe and uh, and Curtis Axel. Uh, fuck me. Curtis, did you know that Curtis Axel getting released right now and everyone's acting like... Not everyone, but I've seen people act like it was this waste. He's the same age now. The Kurt Hennig was when he was in the West Texas Rednecks and was entirely washed up. Curtis Axel mm. was never happening, was he? Like you said earlier, Joe. Like even if you called him Curtis Hennig or what's his real name? Is it Mark? Joe. Uh, Joe. That's Joe, it, Joe Hennig. Hennig. Like if they called him Joe Hennig, yeah, he might. That might have got him over a bit better, but he was still a never happening wrestler, wasn't really. Yeah. I mean, it it, it it's not nice to see anyone lose the job this week. I believe he asked for his release, but still, uh, yeah, I don't think there's a, there's much been lost there. Uh, Jerry Briscoe's a surprising one, though, considering his time in the company. With with Curtis Axel, it's Ted DiBiase Jr. It mm. seems like the same situation again, oh, and I wouldn't and I wouldn't be surprised if we never Perfect. see him again. Yeah, and uh, and, and I don't think he'll come back. I, you know. <sighs> It's a different world. If it was like the world as it was before and there was like a big kind of like doing the kind of big family northeast indie shows, then yeah, sure, he could have done that stuff for a bit. Mm. Um, But I don't think he's in it. The fact he asked for a release might suggest that he's got something else on the horizon. And it might just be the case where he decides it's not really for him. He did well at it in the time he was there. They tried that push. Well, in terms of making money, in terms yeah, of making a got paid living. to sit and cater him for 10 years, he you did, know? Yeah, he didn't really have to do too much. So he lived a comfortable living and he might have just got to the point of going, do you know what? I don't need to do this and I don't really enjoy doing it. And maybe he just never had the natural aptitude for it. It's certainly not what his dad had. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and on Jerry Briscoe, he'll get his job back, won't he? That's a shit move, though. Do they need to do that? How much are they fucking saving with that cost? Oh, it's fucking... Well, he's, mate, he's old, and has he needed to be around? What's he done, Belar? No, he hasn't needed Since to be around. Since they signed Lesnar, what else has he done? I'm in a mood of some college guys, some real meatheads today. Look at the muscle on this guy. Great takedown. <laughs> and they don't want to be professional wrestlers. They want to go and fight in MMA. Like, yeah, waste the, waste <laughs> the payroll. He had a job still because, I don't know, he sold that stock of Georgia Championship Wrestling in 1983 or whatever it was. And he was one of Vince's close guys who knew about the Montreal screw job. And he would always kind of promote the company in the good word of Vince. He always came across like a right twat in interviews. Uh, good riddance to the bloke. He's old. He's probably got a decent retirement fund. Um, see you later. <laughs> Last, I want to hear of him. 
they're tired to take our jobs. That's what he'd say in all those uh, WCW oh, documentaries, or, wouldn't he? Or, uh, he was like, yeah. what? about Ted McMahon and WCW. Uh, he, you know what? Him and Patterson were great as the Stooges, though. Like, I, I've got to say that. Patterson is great. I've got a, I've got a sauce that with That match Patterson. where he's the ring, where he was the, the Mankind match oh, with, um, yeah. with Austin. And, and he's the... Yeah, we sorry, yeah, we do love. I'm trying to think of it. It was after a mania, wasn't it? Yeah, it after Austin won the belt. Yeah, his first yeah. dance. It was like a good feud to put him into back mm. at a time where they, they booked a bit more sensibly. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. Like, I'm watching that um, Triple H rock match from Backlash 2000, they do a run in on that as well. I, I, I always enjoyed them as the Stooges, but yeah. I mean, I don't like to see I anyone did lose as well. the job. In all fairness, I did as well. But yeah. I don't know, something about Briscoe and him, just the thought of him running around these college meetings going, oh, look at this stuff, what an athlete. <laughs> where's look Briscoe, at this his guy. son? Fuck off. It's yeah, like, he is. Where's Briscoe? Yeah, he was, he uh, was awful. The impact guy, yeah, he's. Uh, yeah. I think Jerry tried to get him a job in WWE, and he was that bad. He, uh, he did. He, he, he couldn't. I think he was an FCW, wasn't he? That's it. Yeah, and he got cut. Yeah, um, yeah that kind of shows you how bad you must be. Yeah, he was terrible in the Aces and Aces. Um, that was great. That when they revealed that one, I was like, oh, the the men behind the masks. It's it's Garrett Bischoff and Wes Briscoe. Yeah. <laughs> like I remember, I was in the crowd for that. I was at the the Manchester show, the uh, the Impact show with the big cage match. Uh, I enjoyed the story overall, but that was like, yeah, fucking fart in church as far as a reveal goes. Oh yeah, drunk <laughs> Ken Anderson, happy days, <laughs> simpler times. Oh, definitely. Um, I suppose while we're uh, we're on a on a WWE slagging kick, Joe, I, I believe as you mentioned earlier, you watched some Scottish bollocks this week. I don't know if you got any <laughs> any thoughts on the Scottish oh. bollocks that you happened to watch this week. Why why did you watch this? What did you watch? What was it? Oh my god! Right, so. I saw on the front page of the um, Wrestling Observer website uh, that something about NXT UK or uh, Scottish Round Table. Was like, <laughs> what, what the fuck is this? Had a look. Was like, oh, who came up with this? So to celebrate um, the fact that there are currently five. Scottish champions in the WWE, they decided to do a round table of all of the current Scottish champions. You know, there's Drew McIntyre, who's got a belt that I suppose kind of means something, and he's just gone over, you know, a guy whose cock has probably stopped working in Brock Lesnar. Um, <laughs> and I get Drew McIntyre kind of has something, kind of means something, all right, done a decent job. But then you've got uh, Nikki Cross there, who is apparently the um, women's tag team champion. Remember that they have women's tag titles? Yeah, apparently they do. You had uh, Kaylee Ray there, who is the NXT uh, UK women's champion. You know, that prestigious belt with that long legacy and heritage that, you know, is promoted so well and is seen so often. And then you had the uh, excellent... Uh, Gallus in Wolfgang and Mark Coffey as the NXT UK Tag Team Champions, who were also featured. So I'm not going to lie. I thought, I've not really watched any wrestling this week. Um, I'll put this on so just just to see what it's like and just to see what they do, because I'm kind of intrigued by it. I didn't think it was going to be good, but I wanted to see what bollocks they said. And I find the likes of Wolfgang and Mark Coffey are the worst people for doing like pro WWE tweets that are like really ingenuine and come across as like, I really want to get a push and I really want to be valued. So I'm going to suck up as much as possible. So I gave it a little watch and I got to say, 
this is one of the worst things I think the company have ever produced. It was absolutely fucking awful. First of all, I don't know who this Andy Shepard guy is who was presenting it, but he was the worst type of presenter. Uh, he felt like one of those Mark journalists, Benno, that you're always kicking off about. <laughs> constantly post their, I don't know, interview with Charlotte on top of a bus or something like 10 times over the year. And, you know, they can't believe they got an interview with Charlotte like in December uh, when they interviewed her in March or whatever. Nine months later, they're still going on about it, right? He felt like one of those guys who sucked up enough to get a job. He looked like he's a guy who'd been to a few Sky Sports casting calls before when they're looking for new presenters, and he didn't quite make the grade. But he got in here after a bit of mark journalism, and it was like an English version of basically those shite American commentators, half of them I've forgotten the names of because they're just, you know, the same robotic voice over and over. Apparently this Andy Shepard guy is the commentator for NXT UK. I yep. wouldn't know. Um, is he any good, Benno? He's an NXT UK commentator, mate. He's a, he's a WWE commentator, mate. He's a man who has a voice. British, he looks like British, all of Tom the other Phillips. men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a good way of putting it. He's got yeah. a British accent on the normal WWE garbage commentary. I've no idea on what his background was, but I've got a good idea that he definitely went to Sky and BT cast and calls. And he might have done like a bit of, um, you know, there's like shopping channels, like a bit of QVC and stuff. I could see him turn up on one of them as well, just for, you know, pay the bills occasionally. So this guy is just awful. I was watching this thinking, right, why is Drew McIntyre here? Like, what's <laughs> he doing here? Like, would Lesnar do this? Like, would half the champions they've had in the last however long do this sort of show? Like, what is this, right? Then starts off and you've got like this twat Andy Shepard talking about how the Scottish champions have made WWE their kingdom. You're like, what kingdom? Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, what is, I was, then I was thinking, what is my kingdom? If I was to assess what my kingdom is, like, am I currently sat in my kingdom? Am I currently sat on the throne in my kingdom? Because I'm sat in my house right now, on my sofa. Like, what? why has everything got to be a fucking kingdom? <laughs> why does everything have to go into, like, building something that you can, like, look at in your universe, or the WWE universe, as your kingdom? What does that even mean, ultimately, right? doesn't tell us what it means and you're looking at these guys on skype right and you know like katie right i got quite a lot of respect for her. i think she's a really good wrestler i've seen some great matches of hers live right she aren't be spoken here you've then got the likes of wolfgang sat there in a beanie hat and these <laughs> massive headphones and you're like you look like an absolute chump like what are you doing right he looked like he, to me, he looked like he was like some Eddie Stobart trucker <laughs> who had been like out on a night shift. He looked fucking knackered, and he'd come back home after a long shift to play a bit of Call of Duty, and he was playing a bit online, and he was wanting to take a bit of aggression out. And he was there touting the worst stuff you can imagine, right? Like, all of this stuff about, like, oh, it's a dream, oh, it's a dream, oh, it's a dream. The amount of times I had the term dream, like, I was thinking to myself, right, 
It's not like this is more dream baby dream by suicide than it is. <laughs> I've never had a dream come true by S Club Seven. That's what I was thinking watching this. And then I had I never had a dream come true by S Club Seven going through my head for the rest of the bloody. Do you remember that song? I never had a dream come true until the day that I found you. <laughs> well, I, I think we're thinking, now going to hear at the end of this podcast. <laughs> that's for sure. And I was thinking, with well, a day. Was the day that Wolfgang's dream come true? The day that he signed a WWE contract for sixteen grand a year? Because Eddie Stobar probably would have paid him more, and that wouldn't have been his dream. Like, if, if your dream was this, then to, to appear on a bloody web link during a global pandemic while in your beanie hat, sat in your living room, then fucking hell! Like you said before, Ben, I have better dreams. Yeah. Like seriously, and it got me thinking, right? Like, League One football players, League Two football players, do they walk around all day going, oh, my God, I just can't believe I'm a professional football player. I fulfilled my dream by playing football in League Two for, I don't know, Accrington Stanley, right? Because I don't think they do do that. I think they probably think, okay, it's quite a privilege I've got here that I can play football for a living. I'm doing all right and I'm earning a decent living. I imagine that's the thought process. With these lot, it has to just be, it's a dream. It's a dream. It's a dream. It's a dream. And I'm thinking, I wish I wasn't a fucking dream because this is absolutely awful. And when does it stop being a dream? Like, when does it stop being a dream? Why is this still a dream? Why is this rubbish their dream at the end of the day? I understand that they came into wrestling. I understand they wanted to be wrestlers for a living. But did they want to be wrestlers in like the eighth tier of WWE and talk about it as a dream constantly? I was thinking to myself, like if you're an actor, right, you probably go into acting not wanting to have a walk-on role in The Bill or not wanting to have a walk-on role in Law and Order or something in the US. Now, when someone gets a SAG card, are they like, oh, my God, fulfillment of a dream? Do they go around touting their fucking SAG card as their penis extension constantly, talking about what a dream they fulfilled as they're working in bloody Denny's, picking up tips while going to casting calls each day and getting rejections? Like, what the fuck is this? And why is this a dream? You've then got Nikki Cross there, who comes across like a fucking idiot. She thought that... She thought that Scotland had a population of 20 million. She was amazed when she found out that Scotland had a population of 5 million. So they start <laughs> using the statistic of, oh, well, there are five Scottish champions here. So that means that one in every million Scots is a WWE champion. You're thinking, oh, fuck off. Like, who's coming up with this shite? Like, what a rubbish statistic that is. And look at four of the belts. They're four nothing belts. I mean, nothing that no one knows exist. And no one gives any semblance of a shit about unless you're Jim Smallman, Glenn Joseph or John Briley, who are constantly going to bed at night dreaming about NXT UK and convincing themselves that this is all great and this is all awesome. And we've really made the scene better here when you fucking haven't. Then you get this rubbish about Wolfgang and I am going to bring the a pay-per-view to Scotland at some point. And you're like, all right, that's cool. That's your dream as well, is it? <laughs> and then Drew McIntyre starts talking about how when a pay-per-view comes to Scotland, he's going to get an open-top bus to drive from the top of Scotland right through the UK so they can celebrate getting a pay-per-view. And you're like, what? Like, what does that mean? 
And who's going to be there? Like, at the moment, if you're doing that during a global pandemic, you're not going to be seeing many people, and not many people are on buses. <laughs> you're going to have to sit two metres apart from each other on the fucking bus in the first place. Like, why would you get this bus? What would you do, like, on this bus? It sounds to me like it's going to be the Lex Express in the UK. And the Lex Express was a fucking disaster, wasn't it? So maybe have a think through that one, Drew. And then Wolfgang's talking about, ah, it'll sell out immediately. They all want a Hampton Park as well. So we're going, oh, yeah, sight of so many great memories in Scottish football because the Scottish national team have been doing so well the last 22 years, haven't they, since they last qualified for a World Cup. I mean, I was thinking, you know what? There's a comparison that came to my mind. Like years ago, I read this uh, really funny article about how you can correlate the fall in Scottish football talent with the rise in sales and popularity of the deep fried Mars bar <laughs> in Scotland. It was great. And it's true, because let's think about what Scotland produced for the last 22 years Darren Fletcher, Andy Robertson. I'm struggling. Really, I'm struggling. They had to call up like Nigel Quasi when he was playing for Saints as an international. They had to naturalise him. Fucking hell. And when I was thinking to myself, mm, Scottish wrestling never had a good period. Scottish wrestling kind of started when sales of a deep-fried Mars bar were through the roof. No wonder <laughs> it's fucking shit. And no wonder it's remain shit. And no wonder these lot are fucking awful. Like, it was just terrible like, i'm so glad i showered i dried myself i cleaned the kitchen and i put some stuff away in the front room while i watched this for 25 minutes because it killed some time and it reminded me why nxt uk and scottish talent in wrestling other than kaylee ray and drew mcintyre are fucking awful and are absolute marks for wwe and marks for himself and are the worst type of talents and you know what I've got criticism before for hating on Scotland. I'm not hating on Scotland. Not for one second about hating on Scotland. My girlfriend's fucking Scottish. Her entire family is Scottish. They all live up there. I love the Scots. But for me, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, this lot, they're not Renton. They're not Sick Boy. They're not Spud. And they're not fucking Begbie. They're fucking shit. That's what they are. Honestly, it was so bad. There was also a bit where they're talking about, um, wow, NXT UK has really changed the landscape of wrestling in the UK. Oh. How has it changed the landscape? And they're all there going about how it's better. And I'm thinking, how has it changed the fucking landscape? It's fucking killed the landscape. That's what it's done. It's like a fucking holocaust of the landscape of wrestling in this country. That's what it fucking is. Sorry. That's fair That's enough. all right. I made up you watched it. I can tell you what. Yeah. 25 minutes. It was like 47. You have a pop like, of me for torturing myself. This. <laughs> this is the ultimate in this. Go ahead, JP. Go. Oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you watch it, JP? Because you watch a lot of shit usually. <laughs> I did not. I had no interest. But he said you were watching it. I was like, is he? <laughs> and I thought... I. And I thought it's it's just it's it's your masochistic thing that you'll find yourself coming back to. Well, all... Any interviews they do like that, I yeah, astonishing. Well, we're all glad you That's did. Going... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they get some so great music. Scotland put some great music out, Joe. You know, we're always going to yeah. say that. You know, a lot of my favourite bands are Scottish. Simple yeah. Minds. Yeah, there you go. For me, yeah. errors. Remember, remember. Lots of good stuff. Twilight Zone. Reclaimers. Yeah. <laughs> 
Shame about wrestlers and football players in the last 20, 20 or so years, isn't it, though? Yeah, uh, they, they also put out Gallus. That's the other thing, isn't it, Jacob? I'll say, as, as exactly. somebody who watches a lot of under-21 football, there's some decent Scottish under-21s, but I'll save that for another time. <laughs> no, I, I'm interested to hear this at some point. I hope there are some good under-21s, mate. I don't think it's the rise of, you know, the health food scene in Scotland, possibly, and the banishment <laughs> of the deep-fried Mars bar, possibly. <laughs> Oh, what, uh, my favourite thing is like oh downloads I mean to be fair most the, the people who you will hate that one have gotten this far anyway uh, we got on, on the um, BWE feed on iTunes we've got like we haven't got many reviews and one of the reviews is somebody saying they're never going to listen again because we had that racist Will Cooling on who had to go at the Scots so I'm expecting similar feedback on iTunes fingers crossed uh, racist <laughs> I know I know like, isn't that kind of offensive to actual uh, cases of racism real racism yep yep mm. yep, yep. And the other thing, favourite thing is that um, NXT UK if you believe the rumours is heavily heavily influenced if not outright booked by Shawn Michaels why does Shawn Michaels like Gallus what does Shawn Michaels see in Gallus that oh. makes him think they're the guys is it his fault is it, is it him is his talent and booking ability sort of inverse to his actual wrestling Not all talent? players should be managers, JP. I think that's the lesson we've learned. It's like making Gaz a manager of Kettering. <laughs> it is. And I knew the bloke who owned it. He was an arsehole at the time. That fella. <laughs> I was, he was at university for less than a year and he fucked off. Didn't like me because I, I liked Arsenal. So I was an Arsenal fan. He was a Spurs fan. And I was like, most of my mates are Spurs fan. Grew up in the fucking area, for God's sakes. <laughs> but yeah. It really is. Putting him in charge of NXT UK, it feels like Gaza, or at best, Brian Robson. JP, can I ask a question? Go on. So there's a North London man who mm. was an Ars- who's an Arsenal fan, right? Mm. If you got to play for Barnet, would you be like, oh my God, I'm living my dream? No, I'm quite fond of Barnet, but no. Would, but would you run around going, oh my God, I'm living my dream? It's Paul Furlong. It's, what you uh... would be trying to do normally is aspire to play at a higher level and work your way up. But unfortunately, there's there's like it's if it was WWE booking the football league, they'd have glass ceilings when it came to promotion and just went, no, nah, we're not bringing anyone up this year. It's like a... and then they just bring up the team that's in 13 because <laughs> they've got some big lads on the team. They like that. <laughs> so big that's yeah, what it is. It's like yeah. uh, because Wolfgang Fantasy was football be fucked. <laughs> Wolfgang was responsible, wasn't he, for that that quota over at WrestleMania season where he's like, oh, no, sorry, when they first started doing the uh, the MTV arena, so he's like, oh, I can't believe that you know John Cena and Roman Reigns are appearing in the ring in the ring in the building where we train, and it was just like fucking hell, mate. Is that is that a is that a big accomplishment for you? Well done, well done. You did some forward rolls in the same building that the actual wrestlers appeared on TV. Congratulations, mate. And I'll get back to that pub. Honestly, it, the culture that has been created in that company around just like dream, dream, dream. Did you watch this as a 10-year-old? Yep. Dream, dream, dream. Like, Mike, mate, I had the opportunity to play at St. Mary's a couple of years ago. Didn't do it. It was like, I've got to pay £200 for the privilege. I don't dream about playing on St. Mary's. Maybe I'm just a massive cynic. I obviously didn't want to pay £200 for the privilege of my mate Stag do, so I didn't do it. Uh, but it felt like it was the equivalent, basically. Like This whole dream culture, it needs to end. These guys are going to be geeks forever if they carry on seeing this as the dream, the dream, the dream, the dream. I was thinking like in football terms, I spoke about like lower league football, right? But like, I get 
when players get to a World Cup and are like, fucking hell, I'm playing at a World Cup. Like, this is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, the world are watching. Like, it happens every four years. It's a major, major event. Appearing in York in front of 500 people is your dream. <laughs> Fuck me. Getting to shake Shawn Michaels' hand is your dream. Jesus Christ. Like, I've, sh- I've shaken Shawn Michaels' hand. I was quite nervous when I did it. You know, I was also 19 when it happened. <laughs> like, f- people grow up. It's like these lot are like permanently children when it comes to, oh my God, a Silver Vision video. I watched you on there when I was seven. Yeah. Yeah. Get on with it. That's what it's amazing saying. how much like childhood ends up influencing a lot of this stuff, isn't it? Mm. What and people I, grow up. Well, that's, and that's okay for fans, isn't it? That's okay for you yeah, know when. Fans, when, yeah. when I met Kevin Ash, uh, Scott Hall, and X Pack at their signing, you know, shook their hands, got them to sign some of my 1996 VHSs, got a great photo with them, probably mentioned to them like a couple of my favourite memories. You know why I did that? Because I'm a fan. I'm not a wrestler. And like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's a different, uh, should probably be a different viewpoint there. Maybe that explains why some of these ladies, lads are happy to hit that glass ceiling. Because, like, you touched on something there, Joe, like, in that. In what it sounds like they were talking about, and and in them saying that NXT, like that blinkered wrestler view that NXT UK improved the British scene, like you will hear that from most wrestlers in this country, or at least the ones who want to work for WWE, because that's the that's the thing. Like what it what NXT UK did was it gave, it gave the twenty odd what is it twenty or thirty wrestlers under contract to NXT UK, it gave yeah. them a full time quote unquote job. So there's that. It also gave. You know, you you wrestlers who want that something achievable to chase. Whether that's a that's like I, like I've said many times, you probably get better dreams if you dream is to get a twenty k NXT UK deal. But I kind of see it as okay, there's an attainable full time goal in wrestling. Okay, yeah, maybe NXT UK turning up. There was a bump in the amount of people turning up at wrestling schools. But what wrestlers miss, and what it sounds like they miss, you know, this this documentary and like the uh, the Scottish NXT UK guys talking about, and what they miss is the absolute devastation to the scene that we can all see very 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 clearly we could all see how fucking different british wrestling was last year compared to say 2017 and it's obvious to us and it's where it's worse for fans it's worse as far as like promotions running how many promotions shut down in the last year or so it's worse from like a, a worldwide point of view the world is not watching british wrestling anymore but the point is it's good for the 20 people who got a 20k a year job, so we should all shut up and, you know, things are great. And therefore, you know, they're living their dream and, and everything's fine. That's, that, that is a very, it doesn't surprise me that you'd say that, because that is the blinkered wrestler view that I experience when I speak to some of the wrestlers up here in the Northwest who genuinely think like that as well. Um, yeah, it's, that's just wrestlers for you. And that's just, yeah, NXT UK is a good thing. Like, they'll learn. History will teach them. We'll all find out in a couple oh, of yeah. years. They'll all find out. Do you think they're just happening. fooling themselves, though? Do you think they've got to tell themselves that to yeah. feel secure? It's like the three three mates, isn't it? They've got to tell themselves that they're doing a good thing for Brit Res. Because if they look in the mirror and realise what they've actually done to Brit Res, they should be fucking ashamed of themselves. Yeah, but I mean, like these lands of the Northwest you're saying about as well, there, Benno. Mm. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And I think, you know, that. that they are looking at it as, and the people I, I, I may be speaking of are people who probably were never going to make it to proper WWE anyway. So a 20k a year job being a full-time wrestler, despite the fact it's in the most muted brand of all time, is something of a goal to them. I think that's what it is. 
Like the people who turned up at a ballot box in 2015 and went, Tories, because of the economy, the Labour Party (laughs) wrecked it. Those sort of people, without actually challenging those 2008-based narratives. Yeah, and come on, Labour Labour calls the worldwide recession. (laughs) I know, mate. No, I I was going to say, I need to accept that at this point. They influence the housing market. (laughs) And we're responsible for the five years of austerity. Now, ten years that, you know, was experienced at that point in time. But, you know, Tories are all right with the economy. Uh, anyway, sorry. Oh, I think I think it's a better, more apt comparison than Tories and NXT UK. But what are you gonna do? Uh, like it's like we talked before we recorded that I talked about at BW this week. We reviewed that Riptide show, and uh, you know I love that main event. And I, you know when we get into what we watched this week, I, I am gonna reiterate some of my points about that main event. But watching mm. Travis Banks on that show was so sad. It was just like, and you could probably hear it in my voice review in the match, I did not give a fuck about that match with Chuck Mambo because Travis Banks has been in stasis for three years, like frozen in time. And it was almost like he was let out. He wears the same gear, he wrestles the same style, except like he's got like minus momentum and minus buzz and just... He feels like he, his existence felt pointless just watching that. And it was so, so depressing considering how much we really liked Travis Banks in 2016 and 2017. He was a listener yeah. to our Indie Corner podcast, I'll say that. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so I almost feel bad ripping it to him, but fuck me, what a what a terrific career move that was. Did an interview with, with us as well. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, he sat he's spoke to you yeah. and Joe as well. Top bloke, like it, genuinely, but what a yeah. fucking awful decision he made. Like, oh. Oh, when you when you think of what the New Japan, you know, junior scene would have been like and the chance for him to be there and being from a part of the world that they've always targeted as well, mm. or certainly are now in terms of Australasia and the greater Oceania area. Uh yeah, it was it was tragic. I was able to kind of switch out. I kind of enjoyed the match because for some reason I, I mean it's, it's Mambo and Riptide, so I I, I tend to enjoy that. Mm. It's I was saying we were saying to you before we were recording. I end up watching this, and it's just like a kind of like a nice safe haven of a well-booked wrestling company in Britain that's putting on good shows and booking people to their strengths. But then you've kind of got this devastation everywhere else around it, where you talk about like the real effects of NXT UK, cool. and they've been able to be kind kind of insulated in the same way that OTT. But obviously, they've had mad bad fortune. We didn't get a chance to talk about their um, them having their uh, training centre closed down from some arsehole landlord as well, and the shittiness about that. They've had the bad luck in that regard. And then, yeah, but seeing him here, I, I kind of see what you mean in terms of just the sadness of the stuff that we saw him do and being there when he won Super Strong Style. And he had that. It was, it was Tyler Bate in the final, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Remember that? That feels like a bygone era. Yeah. Feels like Being a fight, fight Club Pro. First time I went to that when he won. Um, I beat Pete Dunn for the belt. Pete Dunn show you and stood yeah. up the ladders and it was awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a it was a great year. It was 2017 and Travis Banks felt like he had all sorts of upward momentum. I'll be honest, Beto. When I was listening to BWE, mm. you got a uh, good podcast. When you guys got onto the, you know, I was enjoying hearing about Jamesy's mint bush and all that. <laughs> and when you got when you got onto the Riptide bit, I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of like, oh, fucking hell, British wrestling. Like, this is still a thing, isn't it? Like, oh, can this go away? And I know that's awful. That's a terrible attitude. But that's how I feel. And I, I, NXT UK and what's gone on a progress, because it's the most prominent stuff, is kind of like soured me on British wrestling generally. Like, And you, you when you were talking about guys like Chuck Mambo and TK Cooper, I'm thinking... 
these guys are doing kind of the same stuff they were doing three years ago. TK Cooper's doing the free, the same gimmick he was doing three years ago, and it's the same entrance music, but he's not doing it as well. I don't he think have he's the same doing the momentum. same gimmick. To be fair, I think he's, he's. I don't. I don't love the gimmick in Riptide. I still don't think he knows who he is. But I don't think yeah. it's fair to say he's doing the same gimmick. Yeah. But I think he's been lost for a long time. That's, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting yeah. at, if yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Riptide do some great stuff. I think, I'm not going to lie, I think in terms of their branding, production, you know, majorly impressive company. And if you're going to go and see a British... Like they send out show, screener copies? Yeah. Because they want go... their stuff to be reviewed and are willing to kind of be open-minded and accept sort of positives and negatives. Yeah, and if... You know, when, you know, when people go back to British wrestling shows, I thoroughly recommend if you want a show to go to, to get a Riptide. But I think that once we can start going to shows again, I just I can see myself going to Rev Pro. But I I just am so like even talking about British wrestling. When I when, as soon as you reacted that way to that Travis Banks match, Ben, I was like, you've kind of summed up exactly how I feel. I can't get excited about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't get interested about it. And I sound so downbeat and almost depressed on this podcast. Trust me, I'm not. I'm in, I'm in a good mood, and I've had a good week, like I said. And I had a cracking day today as well. Uh, you got the chat to us. Exactly, mate. Always, yeah. not, maybe, you know, one of the highlights of my day. I've had a few good highlights. <laughs> the, the walk was cracking. And I tell you, while still doing business at the moment, Eddie Stobart, because their trucks went by me on the road, and I was thinking, Wolfgang, that's for each of them. <laughs> be earned a few quid more as well. Oh. <laughs> um, but I, I'm so down on yeah, just even the thought of British wrestling. I think Chuck, the thought of the name Chuck Mamba comes into my head, and there's a, a shudder. And that's nothing against him. It's not because he's bad, but it just feels like the entire scene is in this weird stasis, and there's almost like a ceiling for the likes of Mambo at this point because of what has gone on with NXT UK. It feels like that's the next natural career move, and there's nothing else. And yeah, I just, I just no interest there at the moment. I was going to say, like, I like I alluded to it at the start of our review on BWE because I have plenty of positive to say about the show overall. Uh, it was an easy two-hour watch. I thought the main event was brilliant. So I'll mention that in a minute. But I did say at the start, like, my, my, my one big thing that kind of watching it, I felt was this is a local British indie who were presented really well, who were booked really well. Is there an appetite nationally to watch this? Is there a, is there a scenario where Riptide are a highly profitable wrestling company because they deserve it with all the work they put in and how, how good it is you know, as far as doing what they do with the pieces that they have but I think there's a lot of people who feel like you Joe I think they Joe this podcast doesn't exist well Brit Res does it we were a Brit Res podcast that, we were, not so that, yeah. that, that's the reason we're sat here you know the fact that but there was a thriving scene that was great yeah. and lots of up, up yeah. ability lots of up oh, yeah. momentum it felt like it was going somewhere. Good shows on know, most weekends. Yeah, we didn't know where it was going. There was a really good vibe around the scene as well. Wrestlers were very upbeat. Promoters were very upbeat. And then, unfortunately, you know, the company that have to be wrestling, because wrestling can't be wrestling without them having their say, came and wrecked it all. And it's affected my entire view of the entire entire landscape, unfortunately. Says I think what saddened... If that can happen yeah, to you, I, can happen I, to anyone. I, what was that major, JP? I, I was going to say, imagine if there was like an AEW around mm. at that point in time. And obviously if there wasn't a coronavirus and there was a there was another alternative stateside that they could kind of go to and that there was more possibility of them getting used in prominent positions. Um, yeah, and that didn't necessarily exist. New Japan are very strict about the gaijin that they bring in. 
and Ring of Honor at that point in time inexplicably decided to ignore every good independent wrestler on the world around 2017, even though there were loads out there. And now Marty Skull wants to kind of rebrand it with good wrestling. And it's just like, <laughs> sorry, mate, that time has pretty much come and gone for Ring of Honor to claim <laughs> to be that company and get that kind of talent. Yeah. You're going to have to be a bit more upbeat than it. You can't putting on great wrestling isn't going to cut the mustard. <laughs> and you're not going to be able to do that anyway. No. I mean, on the Brit wrestling, I'd say there's an argument of, you know, people will push back on us and say it's not all NXT UK. You know, a lot of it, top ends, we lost Osprey, we lost Marty, we lost Zach Sabre Jr. full time. Uh, for good reason though you know they went mm. like you said if there was an AEW equivalent at that time no one would have got mad about any any of those top guys disappearing to AEW it was the more the hoovering up of all the mid-level guys and the fact that what is left behind is the pieces for your TK Coopers your Chuck Mambos to have to kind of scrape together and try and be pushed to a level that maybe they weren't ready for or you know not even be pushed really no be the guys that were available um, and get then get used badly by the companies that were, were using them anyway. There was like, I think it's hard. To, I think for me, it's the, it's not so much the top guys getting taken by NXT UK. It's like, it's the middle level. It's the upper middle level. Yeah. It's the, it's the overall and it's the cooling off of progress indirectly or directly, I suppose, if you want to look at it as like a, a leading promotion and the direct cooling off of, of Rev Pro that, you know, Andy Gulden has some responsibility for as far as booking goes, but, you know, a lot of responsibility falls on, you know, NXT UK pulling his guys with, with no notice either. Um, and that, but to, for, for someone like, you know, you, Joe, to, to be out of Brit Res entirely to the point where even if you know we find a hidden gem like a Riptide show in 2020 that doesn't pique your interest I think that just that does say everything because like overall like our yeah. review of BWI was so positive like a, it was good to watch it JP and kind of like yeah watch it in you know I, I knew your review because I was sat on the podcast with you and I heard how positive you were about it and I was like oh, I'll watch it I'll get to it you know not feeling particularly motivated to watch modern wrestling right now especially you know fair to say modern brit res um and then i watched it and to be fair you know i was that i it made me very watching that main event was the most excited i've been about brit res in about three years and i think that probably goes to to joe's point as well maybe three years has pushed it but at mm. least in a year like i, I watched that that spike trevay jordan breaks match like hearing you talk about it on our podcast i I still wasn't ready for it. He and Will talk about it, who was, I think he was mo quite critical about the length, which was, you know, a minor issue for me, first 10 minutes of it. I was really yeah. like it was going a bit long. Um, especially, but then again, it's a two hour show. If your main event, if your main event can't go long on a two hour show, what well, can? I can live with that. But then it just got so good for me. It just got Spike Trevay, as I raved about there on that podcast. Like he, if people didn't listen to that or haven't seen this show, he really, really showed me something at that main event. He was, as far as like controlling a room and, you know, his incredible promo before it, the work in the match itself, just his entrance, his general presentation in Riptide and just how he carries himself in Riptide, genuinely carries himself like a big time star. I could understand maybe, a, you know, a Joe not being convinced by, you know, this this passionate talk about a Spike Trevay mm. uh, at this point, you know, in Brit Res fandom, but genuinely... You might not see it elsewhere, but he was so good in that main event. He was just, again, he, James, he went on about how great he was selling his arm and, and all of the you know, the intricacies of, of his work in the match itself. Well, for me, I was mainly in awe of just how much he controlled that crowd and how great he was at just yeah controlling the emotions of uh, every person in that building opposite a great 
baby underdog baby face like Jordan Briggs. I'm not saying Britt Rez is coming back based on Tom watching this, you know, and obviously I'm not, not even a, you know, can't be unfortunately confident of, of when Riptide will be coming back, but it did give me at least some hope in a in a very, very negative Brit Res landscape this last year. God help me, JP, I do a Brit Res podcast every two weeks still. Mm. Um, it can be a struggle sometimes. Jamesy and uh, Martin will tell you that too, to find stuff we're excited to talk about in the year 2020, never mind before all this pandemic. But that for, for a brief moment, genuinely, and maybe it's the magic of Riptide, and it's also just how good Sprite Trevay was, I, I, I was actually kind of excited about something in Brit Res thoughts. Yeah, I'll t- tell you what though, for, for me, Benno, I, I get it. And I'm, I'm glad Spike Trevay has improved. And I've always felt Riptide have done a really good job at presenting him as a wrestler. And he's someone who I've often bashed. And that's based on, like, progress stuff. Yeah. And I think, for me, the problem is, of a lot of this, is progress with the standard bearer. They were the biggest company in the UK. And they took so little care of that next group of talent that were coming through. All of that talent... The TK Coopers, the Chuck Mambas, the Spike Trevays again, bought into progress in a big way. They bought into the idea of progress. Like my, me and JP talking to TK Cooper about how shite progress were booking him, how unfair it was, and him going, oh, no, there's a long-term plan. It's like, mm, there wasn't, was there, mate? And if there <laughs> was, they, they fucked you. Yeah. And it's the fact that progress killed those guys. They killed them off. And the last time I remember watching them was in that, eight man but they did an alley pally last year mm. where they put the progress originals over four young guys who were going to probably carry the scene when those guys went off to do nxt uk AEW, and whatever else they were doing and you're like mm, as a company progress just stop giving a shit and uh, for me they damage these guys long term to the point i don't want to watch them i don't want to see them because they represent in my mind personally this kind of like really bad era and period of Brit rest that kind of came as the boom was kind of tearing off, if anything. And this is a personal thing. If you enjoy that stuff and you can still watch them, you can separate that fair play to you. Unfortunately, I can't. Understandable. I can, I can I see could, it. Yeah, I can see. And, and I can see why. And I can think of the times that we went to Riptide together. and We kind of come out buzzing about the shows, generally loving it, having a good day, a good day and night in Brighton. Um, about that stuff and I can see what you mean because it is that idea of it 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 ends up limiting them by how they were used in progress that you've got to spend quite a long time building them up and we're obviously in an enforced absence period as well and that doesn't help because then all you're producing is online content and it just gets drowned out in a whole wave of other noise of wrestlers all doing exactly the same things so like seeing them like this and realizing like it's going to be a while before you kind of get to the conclusions of the story, but the story logically works. You can see even how TK Cooper is going to work his way into it because they'll building it up with the Riptide rumble in the next stuff. So I found Joe, when I started watching it that like Ben, I was able to switch my head off for a couple of hours. Um, well, I have to, I, I thought the main event was just that little bit too long for me, but you kind oh. of sold me you and Jamesy on, going to re rewatch it again um and i was happy to watch it because i'm happy to kind of watch their content and it w- there wasn't much fat on it but at the same time i think joe yeah you hit on that bigger issue and this is the issue worldwide it's like all those people who've stopped watching raw are they the people that are ever going to come back is the effects of the empty arena era going to be 
something where wrestling has to kind of rebuild itself as an industry mm. because a large portion of the fan base just didn't want to see this. And it was like watching it is a constant reminder of everything else that's going on and the reason why you can't have nice things at the minute. Yeah, that's the thing. And, you know, we can we can say all that, but obviously we're still going to point out, you know, when things when, when good things happen in Brit Red. So that was, that was oh, yeah. why I was glad to kind of give you the floor a couple of weeks ago, JP, when you were talking this Riptide show. And I was glad for an hour, like you say, to kind of maybe not entirely turn off my concerns about the why the Brit Red scene, especially when Travis Banks trotted out there. Um, but, you know, in a way, kind of just almost be thrown back to a, just a, a very good two-hour Brit Red show. And, you know, yeah, we've got, yeah. We, we've, as well as, all, as, as well as all the negative, we have got to point out when, you know, it's, it maybe it's few and far between these days, but when companies are doing things well, and that is a, that is really is a company that's doing things well. I'd implore people to check out, you know, your thoughts from a couple of weeks JP, ago, JP, mm-hmm. but also our BWE review, because, you know, being James here, I don't think I've, I've ever been so, you know, in high voice excited since Jamesy joined our show about a Brit Red show and about that Spike Trevay main event performance and about Jordan Briggs as the hometown babyface and that and about Mike Baird as the as a, an incredible yeah. promo that I didn't even know he had in his locker you know in his uh, in his pull apart brawl with a uh, with Car Noir and just overall an easy two hour show to watch so I was I was still glad that we you know we sat down and watched it and I think yeah you know based on, oh, on yeah. your thoughts on it that maybe you know. Granted, Joe, I don't think we're, we're ever going to, you know, convince you here. But I think people in general who maybe have got who, who might be interested in something like that, I would still mm-hmm. implore people to, you know, it, it's where at a time when there is no, you know, fans wrestling to watch, this is something you can watch with a with a with a with a pack building that is worthwhile, and they're not wasting two hours of your time. They're they're entertaining you for two hours and giving you a worthwhile two hours. That's that's kind of what I'd say, you know, for the, the pluses of that show. That To, to echo oh, really, really what you said last week, JP. No fat on it. Mm. Two hours, the promos in between. You mentioned mm. about Mike, Bur- Mike Bird's promo, which just straddled that line, didn't it, of being sort of too insider-ish. Thomas. But, <laughs> you, Thomas, but you could see where it was coming from as well. And it made sense within the nature of the story. Mm. And yeah, and everything like, I mean, a six match card that was very simply done. That was sort of reminded you of watching that, like a really good, fun Brit rest show. I like the new place where they were at. It kind of had slightly more like, the lighting I found interesting because at times it would go into shadows. But that was a good thing. Yeah. They, like there was there was yeah. some aesthetically pleasing. And the little inserts that they put in, the the, the subtitles mm. over stuff that's being I love, said. I love that. I, I liked that. I mean, it was just like a novel touch to the mm. whole thing. So, yeah, it was like the presentation of it was, was the best. It was like um, like a, like an ethical ECW. That's fair to say. So, and yeah, I think, I think if the company was made up of, of riptides, I think we'd be in a, in better shape. But unfortunately, they're kind of a, a bit of a hidden gem yeah. um, as it is. So, yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, but yeah, well, let's move on from that. Um, we should probably talk a little bit about Dark Side of the Ring from this week. I know uh, you were chomping at the bit to talk about it, JP. I know you've uh, you've seen it as well, Joe. The uh, the Doctor D David Schultz episode uh, back on form. Dark Side of the Ring this week. I would uh, I would definitely say. Where does this rank for you two in the series so far? I thought it was the second best after the Benoit one. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I like I enjoyed yeah. the New Jack one as like a pure entertainment value, but I didn't think it was a very good documentary. So yeah. probably above that. 
I was a big fan of uh, Dr. D. Dave Schultz. I thought he was like really entertaining and like a real presence. Like for me, I was watching, I was thinking, this guy's like a good version of Sid. <laughs> like this, this guy is what Sid should have been. Like he's got a look of Sid, but he can cut a promo and he's got presence and he's aggressive and he's kind of scary and I'd be intimidated by him. Whereas Sid was kind of shit, let's be honest. He was shit. He was his intensity was very much limited to one minute long squash matches on WCW worldwide. That's when Sid was at, absolutely at his best. I I loved this episode and I thought it'd be the one I'd be least interested in. We might have said that on the previous week after the Dino Bravo. Just thinking, yeah, this one just seems like it's a bit of a filler episode as much as anything else. He slaps John Stossel. What else? We'd all heard about it at various points. I was surprised that the Vader Q8 um, slap never came up at any any point as well. I would have thought that would have been kind of ideal for that. No. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like this. It was full of carnies. It was all about being a carny and about being fake. And it was a, there was a lot more level-wise going on in this than I, I thought there would be. So for me, I, I just enjoyed seeing him. Mm. And I enjoyed the stuff with Stossel. And I think it would have been a great coup if they could have got Stossel and Schultz in a room together. That would yeah. have really topped it off for me. Um, it's probably quite hard to pull off. But you're watching it and you're thinking, right, Stossel is as much of a carny as Schultz is. Yeah. It's like Battle of the Carnies. Like Stossel's, you know, got a legitimate media job. I know, I, I know what 20 for 20 is. You know, it's a well-known program if you, you sort of follow the media, I suppose. And sort of, you know, it's a little bit about American sort of documentaries and kind of uh, current affairs stuff. And Stossel as a personality, I thought was a bit of a coup to actually get on the show mm. in the first place. He's been on Fox News last few years. Yeah, I know. I've seen him on there before. Um, he's a twat. He's a proper twat. Um, all I'll say is fair play to him for you know getting two hundred and fifty grand or whatever it was out of Vince. Yeah, that was a, that was a good a good move. <laughs> but Schultz, I came out of it feeling kind of sorry for because they sort of presented him as a bit of a sympathetic figure because I don't agree with him slapping Stossel, but I think Stossel deserved a good mouthful because what I didn't understand was what Stossel thought was going to be a big deal about this expose yeah. wrestling being fake because like unless you're above the age of about 10 or sorry below the age of about 10 you know it's fake like there's uh, this is for an adult audience like what angle was he going for he, with it he cited a study that oh, said like yeah. a third of wrestling yeah. fans and then they had that one little bit of archive footage and it was like well, what the fuck is this <laughs> didn't but, see anything from that study did we no, no exactly exactly and it felt very um it felt really yeah it, it was like somebody turning up at a magician's and just going this is bullshit you can't really pull the rabbit out of a hat and then just deciding to expose them there's an element of kind of cognitive dissonance that goes Look, off you're watching wrestling mate yeah. i don't like tories and i don't like rich people that lord their money over people or don't give a fuck about people it'd be like me turning up at a polo game to prove that everyone who plays polo is a, is a posh cunt <laughs> like that's not an expose is it we all know that's true <laughs> yeah yeah just like i mean i 
I get it when they do things like it, it like exposed psychics. I particularly loathe that industry because it's about exploiting grief and it's horrible. But here, this is essentially about entertainment. So it really came down to what his opinion on that entertainment was. And like a lot of people who didn't like wrestling throughout sort of the 80s, 90s and, and 2000s, there's like a real visceral dislike to it as if you're all idiots and you don't get it. Don't you and in this say? country, it's built on the idea of, well, the grannies in the front row of World of Sport believed it, therefore you all think like this. And it's something that's like deeply frustrating because I don't get ballet, but I don't see the need to badmouth it at the same time. If I don't get it, then I don't get it. And that's fine. I don't have to get everything in the world. And I found that like this, like Stossel for a wrestling fan was so easily hateable because he kind of just like kind of that, that idea of this is so low culture that anyone who likes this I'm, just reflects badly on them on a person, on you people. And, and then he appears on Fox News as a pundit. Like, exactly. Mm, you know, bit ironic, it, that, isn't it? it, like, it he's, he's on the news channel that is the work of all fucking works. Yeah. He's angry because he doesn't get it, is really how, like, where a lot of the kind of motivation is. And then he showed, I mean, I don't know what you thought about Eddie, Eddie Mansfield. What he said was entirely relevant for today, though, and very prescient, wasn't it, at times? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was. I was like, oh, this guy's actually got a point, and he actually seemed to kind of give a shit. He may have had a hard yeah. time that may have got him to that point, but i got nothing against the bloke. Good on him. He seemed uh, like I, a bullshit merchant. but oh, yeah, He yeah. did. He seemed like a bit of a madman. Do you know he was going out with um, Nancy Argentino's sister as well? Oh, Melton put that on the Observer this week, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, I was like, what? This is... Like, how did that ever come about? Like, it's just, it, it feels so random. She lived in Brooklyn. He lived in Florida. Like, eh? But I don't remember Snooker. Well, I don't know about Snooker and him working the same territory. It just seemed so odd that that was a thing. I enjoyed that Melter said something cool. like, Melter was like, and, and if that hadn't have happened, she might not have died. And I was like, how, how are you connecting those that stage? Like, what? Yeah, no, 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 no. I think you misread it, Benno, because oh. I read it like that. And then I reread it. It was the investigation wouldn't have happened, oh, okay. and we wouldn't be at the point we are now with the documentary. Because he does tell that story. Meltzer went straight to Irv Muchnick with saying talk, after talking to the sister, oh, okay. and that's when Irv Muchnick contacted the sister ah. and got the investigation. The go. So that's how I read it originally, and I reread the paragraph. Oh, it, it's hard, isn't it, when you're trying to read Dave? Like I, I copy and paste the Observer into a Word document. The amount of like grammatical and spell and things the Word document tries to correct. When I'm trying to read the thing. Mm. You have got to be used <laughs> to reading like the, the way like he, his sentences kind of all flow together and the way he sets things up. Yeah, maybe I did read that wrong, but yeah, it was still an interesting tidbit though. And yeah, it was an, for me. It was an interesting story that I just I knew of, of course, the legend. But I can't say I was. I'm not until you know maybe in later life and maybe the likes and now where I'm maybe more willing to go back and watch stuff like. Dr. D. David Schultz wasn't somebody I knew a huge amount about. Uh, I didn't know a huge amount of his story. I didn't. I thought in the documentary he was still trying to work. I don't know if you you kind of felt that where he was saying things like you know I'm the oh, yeah. I, I'm the best wrestler in the world and I I was the best wrestler things like that. It's like come on mate, at least know your audience now in 2020. Like have a I maybe have a feel for that, but maybe it's still the old world for him. Uh, but no, he didn't. In no way, like he came across as like he didn't come across great, but like. 
Stossel just came across as even even in the modern day, he came across as like quite dismissive, didn't he, of uh, of wrestling in general. I mean, I I don't get so wound up about that, like about about people looking down on wrestling because wrestling does a lot, and Vince McMahon's brand of wrestling, which yeah. has been the the primary brand of wrestling that people see wrestling as for the last thirty years, does a lot to make people think like that. To be honest, I think the responsibility mm. for for people having that reaction to wrestling falls on those shoulders a lot too so that stuff doesn't really bother me um when people don't take wrestling seriously maybe i just don't get offended by that stuff i get annoyed by the whole do you not know it's fake thing that we all get constantly like yeah. I, I still do you get know what today. i do with that, you know go on, what do you do when someone says that do you know it's fake i'm like is it <laughs> yeah do you not know is it really yeah you must know like oh no usually well, i had a feeling but is it actually like? Do you know it is? Like, <laughs> what do you think it's real? Yeah. Well, I, 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 I had a feel like I play, I played to it, and to oh. see what sort of reaction I get. It's always quite funny. Usually for me though, it gets followed up by uh, I'm only messing. To be honest, I used to watch all that big daddy stuff. Like that's usually maybe that's just the people I know. Maybe in my work and that I find it quite light-hearted in general. Um, although there are people who maybe take it a bit further. But I would say like on the on the expose stuff, I think you've got to put it in a place in time as well. Like I've got to be honest. Remember when they did that um, on Sky in the late nineties? It was like uh, they did like a magician's secret series, and they did a yeah. wrestling one with the winking yeah. granny and all that stuff. I watched it oh, with yeah. everyone else. I'm sure we all watched it. I'm sure we all kind of had like I know it's fake. I know it's worked, but, but how? <laughs> I think that there's still yeah, that I think element. Like the secrets. Yeah, yeah I was like, fascinated by the secrets of yeah. it and like the whisperings of each other in the ring. How and, do they blame? Like the referee calling the match yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and the you know the bullshit they had in that. Remember when they said like apparently they had like a, a fella in a cowboy hat that was definitely meant to be Jim Rush on the commentary table. Apparently he sends signals to the ring and tells them what to do. That was um, the stunt granny. That was the the other big one there, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, I mean that show was terrible. But I, I think there, there is always an appetite for that. I think even myself as a kid, I've got to be honest. Like my some of my early memories of wrestling, I knew it wasn't real when I was like six or seven. But I think in my head that created this logic that it's not real. But my logic was whoever hits the finisher first gets to win. That was my idea of how yeah. wrestling works. <laughs> it can't be that fake. They can't. They can't plan it out to that degree. Um, I think we've. I think we've all got that. I think. Yeah, maybe it is overestimated. Even in you know the eighties and even in the nineties, you know, people talk about wrestling like, or every wrestling fan thought it was still real. And I'm sure, like JP said, there's a percentage of the grannies in the front row of world of sport who who think it is real. But also, you know, the public at large knows there's a, there's something up with this wrestling stuff. They just don't know quite know what has worked and what well, isn't. The the lad with the snake and the fellow dressed up as a as an undertaker should really have been the clue. <laughs> Probably, yeah. If yeah. you're not getting it after that, then I think you know the the issue is more inward mm. than outward. It's not really wrestling at that point. That's the that's the issue with it. Um, I found it funny that ultimately you always think about when people talk about like the business and we speak about NXT UK and all of these terms. He's the one who ultimately killed kayfabe in all of this mm. and all of these veterans who hate the idea of it do you think any of them have ever gone up and gone yeah because you didn't want to be taxed at the rate the sports were you basically lobbied one of the one of the states new jersey and then all the other commissions brought it in because they didn't want to lose the money from wrestling mm. and i think oregon's only just recently done something about it, and that's how they ended up running portland wasn't it? it was the first show they had back in ages but yeah it felt um, I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, he killed it. 
and no one ever blames him for it. Yeah. And he's just like Trump because it's all plausible deniability. He's never responsible, but he's always involved in any most. You mentioned about like the terrible image of wrestling. Thinking of so much bad shit in wrestling that in some way he's linked to at this point. Yeah. And is and the only thing he ever takes ownership really of is is winning, is beating WCW. That's the thing he never leaves on that. And yeah. And then he made it so silly through the style of wrestling that he wanted that it looked even faker at that point in time. And yet a lot of the veterans on the, the legends deals. And do you, do you think Greg Valentine's <laughs> ever said this to him? No. <laughs> Killed the fucking business, mate. That's what you did. No way would they say that. Cornet would no, rather blame Joe Ryan. sheets and the internet smarks that are doing it, aren't they? <laughs> to the young bucks, mate, and Kenny That's Omega. That's really Omega. the fucking problem. <laughs> it is. It's like Trump. Blame the media rather than the actions that I actually do. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on Dr. David Schultz in general as a, as a wrestler? Are you, are you guys more familiar with it than me? Because I've again got to be honest, I've never spot seen a match. Mm. All I'd seen was the slap. That was all I knew about him. Mm. Uh, I mean, I watched a couple of matches from 1984 afterwards, and he was fine. Right. In that sort of 80s way, had a bit of intensity. I was watching him thinking, you know what? He would have been all right in all Japan. If him and Hansen were tagging in a tag league in the mid-80s, and then he would have improved his game a little bit. I think he could have upped it a little bit if he wanted to give it a go. Because he had something about him, and there was an intensity about him. Watched a match he had with Hogan, which Hogan was wearing, like, turquoise trunks. It's a bit weird. I'd never <laughs> really seen a lot of 84 Hogan. I find that whole expansion period so odd to watch. Because, like, you've got, like, dark arena, like, kind of territory-style wrestling still as the companies expand and they're doing this sort of like pop cultural stuff. So I just find that transition period kind of fascinating whenever I see anything from it, because it's not like fully transitioned into the next era, but it's sort of on its way. So you've got like these weird, it's like watching the first series of the Simpsons when Homer's got like a different voice yeah. and Smithers has got a different, uh, Smithers and Barney yeah. got different color hair. So like seeing Homer <laughs> in turquoise trunks and using a clothesline as a finisher and a leg drop to set up the set up the clothesline as well. Like, oh, okay, this is weird. But yeah, he was all right in the ring. Not too bad. Were you a fan, JP? It's it's really before my time. Mm. So it wouldn't have been he wouldn't have appeared on my radar until I was aware of the slap. Mm. Um, Cracking promo point. though. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a good promo. And like you said, you look at his career. You look at his career trajectory as well. He, I mean, he was Dog the Bounty Hunter before there was a Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> I was watching it thinking, fuck Dog. They should have had Dr. D doing it instead. Oh, oh yeah. Because yeah. of the series with him. Is it Steve Blackman? sniffing coke and going, it's Dr. D, David Schultz. And he's having a line as he's putting <laughs> bloody handcuffs on him. Isn't Steve think... Blackman a, 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 um, a Bounty Hunter as well? Is it Steve Blackman? There's a wrestler like that who is. Sure it's him. It's a mad world where we still got Bounty Hunters. <laughs> I'd watch Jesus that series though, JP. Sounds like a sci-fi movie. Oh. How great was it watching um, Hogan choke out Richard Belzer as well as a oh, yeah. of the rest of you fan? Never Fuck seen me. that. I didn't I... know anything about that. Oh my god, he drops him though, doesn't he? Like he proper lets him yeah. go, and he just l- could have killed him easy. Like that was horrible to watch. 
Hogan, mate. He don't give a fuck about anyone but himself and his daughter, who he really fancies. <laughs> Especially not his, his best mate, Dr. D, that he apparently used to live with. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Uh, oh, very quickly, I thought Cornette was good on this. He played wrestling historian <sighs> Cornette, which is a much better version. I don't know, mate. He's still... But it, it's right up his alley, though, isn't it? Pretending the business, yeah. the business got killed because KFA got broken. It's like, no, Jim, mate. You're like, if you counted up the shoot interviews over the last twenty years, you know whose name would appear the most? James E. Cornette. Um, well, I don't also, know. But when he was pulling out the newspaper, of yeah, the stuff that had gone in New York, and I suppose this is where it falls into the category like the Dino Bravo, where it's covering ground that we're not all familiar with. That mm. I was aware of Dino Bravo more really than than I suppose than you guys were. But when it came to David Schultz, I wasn't really, I didn't really have much of a clue. And that's probably where half of the fun on it. And a program that shits on Hogan and Vince. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, uh, it doesn't I'm shit on Vince enough, I don't no. think. I think this series, I think the documentary makers have been a bit cowardly around the subject of Vince. And, you know, I'm saying this at a time we'll see where... see the Owen Hart one, won't we? That'll well, I'm saying this at a time where, you know... A lot of our recent podcasts have uh, spoken quite negatively about Vince McMahon and maybe, you know, I'm not feeling too positive towards the bloke at the moment. But I feel like there is a lot more on Vince and a lot more of an angle they could take on Vince. Because like JP said earlier, so many of these stories come back to him and he's involved in so much of it. And they never kind of take his role to task. He got away scot-free in the snooker one. I think they could have gone further, possibly in the Benoit one and his role around that as well. The Owen one is going to be fascinating, I think, Mm -hmm. in terms of where they go with Vince. Because I wonder whether they're afraid of possibly being sued or having some sort of claim put against them. So they don't go too hard on Vince or they're maybe looking, I don't know, for a job opportunity there to some degree. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But... Yeah, there's a man who is, you know, at the centre of a lot of these stories, and I don't think he's got the uh, rough ride that he should have done so far. I'm hoping, hoping, like JP says, that's coming in the own one, and maybe they're keeping it in the locker. But no, that's a that's a re- reasonable uh, kind of. Do you know another dark side of the ring that makes me think as well? I what? thought about this in the week that sort of makes me think. Right, they really are giving Vince an easy time. The steroid trial and Dr. George Zahor, yeah. to Oof. me, is like Lay one of the minute. most obvious episodes that you could yeah. do. Mm. There's so much there. And, like, you know, Meltzer talks so much about that. And that, was it like George Costas or someone that he was on with Vince? I've seen the footage. Uh, no, it's Phil Donahue. That's it. Sorry. When sorry. I bought a tape, when I bought Wrestling with Shadows, I had all the documentaries about, like, the steroid trial and, like, oh. loads of. Yeah, and it had that on there, the Donahue show. That sounds like elevate. Meltzer's got his hair down to his shoulders. Oh, you should watch that job. We should actually review that. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, he's there as the uh, heavy good one. Yeah, watch it. It's on YouTube. The whole thing. Um, it's a bit depressing, but it's it's worth watching because it's Meltzer and Vince sat next to each other on a stage talking about steroids. And to be fair, like I think Meltzer's the only one who's not working. I think everyone else there has got an angle. Uh, oh, yeah. He's the only yeah. kind of uh, straight man there. We should do that. I think know. the ring announcer ended up being discredited. And yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a whole load of bullshit. If you've not seen it, Joe, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. I've seen Orton. bits of it before, but not for a long time. Oh, good. We'll do that. Uh, I feel bad because re- John and Way reviewed that for a review away a few years ago, and it was me that suggested it, and they had a terrible time. They just came out of it really depressed. Whereas I think we'd find it hilarious, to be honest. I think we're... Uh, 
I don't know. We're horrible enough Look, people that maybe we kind of trade fun. in that sort of shit. We do, that, yeah. Let's be we honest. Do. Yeah. We do. They're proper journalists, uh, unlike us. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. We'll do that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, again, uh, another Dark Side of the Ring's been. A, it's been a good series this year, but there's definitely concerns there. And I think uh, one thing I was gonna say is like I noticed CM Punk crawled out of his hole this week to kind of because he seems to be loving the show, and he, he kind of alluded to. Um, he said something about you know all these wrestlers getting getting annoyed about what happened with Dr. David Schultz and about him slapping a reporter. That what they really should be annoyed about is the fact that there was no recourse to stop him being blackballed. And it was like basically he's hitting it, you know, a union like was talked about on this show. Uh, mm. I kind of enjoyed that from CM Punk, but what I, what I don't like from CM Punk is as the WWE Fox analyst, the abject silence on anything to do with their releases or. They're sacking people, you know, sacking people in a pandemic, making people work in a pandemic, all of that stuff. Are they still doing that show during this? Yeah, still doing it. He's not been on it, to be fair. I wonder. Okay. I wonder. Just via Skype. Yeah, I would like, I would, you know, uh, you would think the, the voice of the voices would have something to say, but yeah, maybe not. Maybe I'll, maybe my... Um, He's been voiceless for a hell of a long time now at this point. Very, yeah. yeah. It's uh, disconcerting as a, as a long-term fan, I would say. Um, very quickly then, before we go, because we've somehow gone two and a half hours. Like, remember, when we say we've got no, remember when we say we've got nothing to talk about when our shows are always the longest? Oh, blame me for the political <laughs> rant at the start. Ah, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, very briefly, <laughs> do we want to mention anything else we've been, uh, we've been watching this week? And maybe we'll, uh, we'll go into more detail next week. Not MLW, does it have to come out? <laughs> I'll, I'll sort it out in a line. MLW was on, I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Brilliant. Yeah, happy? Uh, sorry, JP, sorry. It's we, all right. We've got a reason to do a show next week now. You know, makes sense. Uh, exactly. Uh, I suppose and, all the feedback we get about MLW and the demand for it and all that. It's fucking crazy, mate. <laughs> I know. All those Twitter users, Joe, you just don't see them. That's all. Someone today was trying to get us to watch DDT. I don't know if you've got any appetite for that show. No, Apparently they did the show. Zero. <laughs> oh, well. I tried, everyone. Um, cool. Anything else you guys want to mention then? Uh, nah. It is half one in the morning, I suppose. It is. It is. Very late. Other than some some big news. We're going to yeah. be having another show on the network, aren't we, Benno? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, Basically, our good mate Jamesy, as you might have heard me uh, allude to last week, is uh, is going to be uh, he's not he's not leaving post, we're, 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 and it's not even a loan deal really. I think we're just going to share him. Uh, we're having Jamesy over on this network. Everyone's a fans of uh, of James will be happy. He's going to be uh, joining the network every month. Uh, going forward is the plan. He's going to be doing a match of the month podcast where he talks about the best matches each month with a with a different guest each month. I'm going to be doing episode one. Uh, I believe JP, you're going to be on uh, quite soon after that as well. Uh, the idea is obviously in the pandemic with everything shut down. Uh, it is probably as James will a bit himself and as I will as the other person who maybe first pitched this. Maybe not the best idea to do a, a match of the month podcast right now. But what we're going to do is we're going to catch up on the year and we're going to talk. Uh, going to start with January. So me and James. Jamesy, uh, this coming week, are going to talk about our favourite matches uh, from January and compare that with the with the Grapple Top 10 from January. It's Wrestle Kingdom month, feels like a lifetime ago, but that should be fun to Jesus. catch up on and, uh, and talk all that. I imagine, JP, it's going to be a very Wrestle Kingdom-dominated uh, month to talk about, but I'm going to go back and catch up on some yeah. hidden gems of stuff that I didn't see from the likes of Noah or All Japan and some other matches that are in the, uh, in the Grapple Top 10. But then, yeah, we'll do February. Uh, we're going to do uh, March and April is going to be interesting with a lot of empty arena stuff, and uh, we're going to catch up on. I was ourselves. just thinking April is an interesting month to oh, cover. Yeah. But I tell you what, if anyone's up for the task, 
it's our mate Jamesy, and yeah, genuinely, yeah. it's like I don't. I, there's nobody. I mean, Joe, you're very good at it as well. But Jamesy, as far as his match breakdowns, is fucking. You know, the, the, the reason I wanted this podcast are, are over over here, and for Jamesy to maybe you know be talking the world of wrestling that he watches because he watches probably even more than we do. He's got a he's got a spreadsheet. He uh, he takes his star ratings very seriously. I can't wait to have Jamesy over <laughs> on our side doing his doing his match breakdowns like only he can. And going through, you know, all this, all of the, uh, the his favorite matches from uh, from each given month with different guests, and who knows who we might get. There could be uh, all kinds of our uh, our friends and uh, and family that we could bring over here. But I'm sure you guys are as excited as we are. James, he's a, a top man. Oh yeah, absolutely delighted to be having him over here doing these. Um, hoping he gets the logo that he deserves, Benno. You know exactly what I'm on about. I'm working on it, mate. I'm working on it. You, uh, you no, 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 no. The colour scheme. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll, uh, I'll have a word with the, with the man himself. Oh, but, yeah. But that should be fun. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Um, that'll be dropping this week. Uh, also, uh, we've got a uh, coming up, we'll be doing our WCW, I keep saying WCW, WWF 1997, <laughs> we're going to be going to and talking Canadian. Yeah. We've got WCW on the brain, haven't we? So we're having uh, Martin back another time to uh, to talk that. Basically basically the same week as the uh, Rodman Mania Bash at the Beach 1997 uh, show was. So it's like it's it's the week before, isn't it, JP, I think? It, but it's around the same time as all, yep. the, all the Nitros we were watching and we're going to watch some Raws from that period too. Yeah, it's mad. I've been watching the roars that were going on at the same time. So you can see these points when they're hitting big stuff happening on the quarter hour and stuff like that. There's a bit of a sort of cyclical process that you can see happening. Mm. Um, Yeah, fascinating. Looking forward to it. A a big deep dive into 1997, which if you're watching The Last Dance as well, you're really getting your fix of 97. And as you're fond of saying, Benno, it was the greatest year in wrestling. Absolutely, absolutely. Great year in a lot of things. Great year for film as well. Watch the full Monty last night. Which Great year for general elections as well, I might. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. in this Cracking country. Cracking year for that in this country. Yeah, uh, um, I'm hoping I'll be a little bit more upbeat on that one, so, you know. <laughs> it's old stuff, Joe, so I think it gets us all going again, doesn't it? It's the one thing oh, yeah. that's, uh, oh, yeah. that's keeping yeah. us going this year, so. Yeah, everyone can look forward to that, so yeah, look out for James' new show that we couldn't be more excited about. Look out for that show, and look out for all the, uh, the regular stuff from us, too. In the meantime, follow Grapple and Tripper on Twitter, at Grappler, follow me, at Ben Richard E, follow JP, at JP, Jippy, uh, on Twitter, too. And yeah, we'll be back again later in the week. Bye. See ya. Everybody's got something they had to leave behind. One regret from yesterday that just seems to grow with time. There's no use looking back Was that oh. the bonus audio? No. Oh, no, sorry. What I was going to ask was, um, we were talking about it in BWV, weren't we, about uh, about putting to- uh, toast in the freezer, and I wanted to know what you thought about putting toast in the freezer, John. <laughs> you fucking know. <laughs> what is it, John?
nothing on my putting bread in the freezer. God, no. <laughs> Milk? Nah, that's fucking weird. Uh, but it bread, affects the texture too much with milk. It starts to look like milk. I am. My mum did. Right. And my ex did. Yeah. Right. And, and that's what. Like, and I was like, I don't like this. This seems like the devil's work to me. Bread? Yeah, that's a long run thing. Did you, you know you could free, just put it in the toaster? You've got the freezer setting on your toaster, yeah, you just yeah, pick that. Yeah, but like, did you know, you, you don't even, not even defrost on it though. You can yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it yeah. Yeah. I do it all the time. Yeah. I do I, it my, like often. Oh, well, because I, I, anyone I tell about this, maybe it's a Liverpool thing, everyone's always shocked and I only found it a couple of years ago. It blew my mind. It blew Chris Brooks's mind, so at least, you know, there's that. What? <laughs> yeah, he was... He was tweeting about north some... of Watford Gap freezing bread. Just isn't I think thing. that's what it is, you know. I think we just didn't have it here. Um... Was it like dandelion and burdock in reverse? <laughs> it's like um, that. Um, oh, Gareth, uh, Gareth on Twitter, Gareth Elton, I think it is, was talking about. Oh, like, yeah. Did you know there's two Dr. Peppers in this country in circulation? There's, there's one that's the real American Dr. Pepper that you sometimes get as an import, and there's like the shit with like the uh, like the wave logo that apparently isn't as good Dr. Yeah. Pepper. I learned that this week. Yeah, you go to those fancy places that sell like American candy mm. and stuff like that you get it there but yeah, proper stuff. is there any no, difference in a fiver for a fucking yeah, he was... for a pack of cereal no I don't know but he was saying there's a world of difference <laughs> he was saying it's very and there's a apparently there's like a Turkish one sometimes you'll get in certain takeaways oh that's that because you get that in like yeah. kebab shops and stuff that's what he was saying yeah so, apparently that's yeah. different as well it's like Coca-Cola lights which I can't stand mm. like lots of kebab shops used to do that in Southampton and I want happy about it. Uh, <laughs> and like in Germany, I have to drink regular Coke or Coke Zeros. They do diet Coke. Uh, yeah, yeah, I made that mistake at a bar. I'm asking for it. But, oh, uh, well, okay. Well, I, I definitely, I'll, I'll find someone at some point who, who didn't know about the... the... I, it's, it's a like bagel. Uh, I had to defrost a bagel this morning, put it in the microwave for 20 seconds, mm. get it a bit softer, then just sliced it so a little bit frozen straight in the toaster. Yeah. <laughs> right, lads. I'll awesome. be chatting to yeah. you tomorrow. Fucking hell, cool. quarter past two. No. <laughs> it's getting worse. I'm dead. <laughs> right. Yeah. Night. Right. Right. See, See you soon, lads. Turn up. Speak to you later. Bye. Bye.